This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by some words of wisdom for any Stanley Cup wildcard team without the services of its starting goalie and its leading scorer, who just so happens to be the biggest lightning rod in the eyes of Avalanche fans after requesting a trade to play playoff hockey somewhere else. For that, we got a multiple Stanley Cup winning coach, Daryl Sutter. Coach, the floor is yours. I sure as hell don't want to play Colorado in the first round because it's going to be a waste of eight days. <laughs> it was around the time that I saw kind of the writing on the wall in terms of the future of that franchise, and I, I just couldn't do it. I just felt like I, I, was, I, wanted to, I wanted to play playoff hockey. I'm just excited to be able to move on. The horn sounds. And the final score, 7-2, a statement win for Darcy Kemper and the Colorado Avalanche. And Kale McCarr finally breaks through and wins it in overtime for the Avalanche. With his 11th shot in this game. A 7-3 win for Colorado today in the Avalanche. Take a three games to not leave. So the Avalanche will advance in a four-game sweep and move on to play the winner of Minnesota and St. Louis. Final horn sounds on the Predator season. Yes, yeah, so we moved on, and so is he. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark! Yes, it's true, Avs fans. We have moved on to the second round. Greetings one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am the voice of Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. And joining our starting lineup is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, welcome to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Feels good. Also joining our starting lineup today is Earl 06. Earl, how's your broom working? Real good. When we last graced your digital airwaves, the Avs were about to begin their first round playoff matchup against former friend of the show who wanted to play playoff hockey someplace else, Matt Duchesne, and the Nashville Predators. Well, he got his wish this year, at least for four games, as the Avs properly and quickly disposed of the Nashville Predators 7-2, 2-1 in overtime, 7-3, and 5-3 and punching their ticket to the second round where they will play the St. Louis Blues coming up in the next couple of days. This series, thankfully, did not go as long as any of us predicted on our last episode. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk. Uh, thoughts on how this series played out and just about the uh, total domination that the Avs put on against the eighth-seeded Nashville Predators. And this... Well- this series went about how we thought it would. Uh, you know, Nashville was really overmatched. Uh, they didn't have Soros, and, and I, I don't know how how much closer he would have made it um, because it, it. I don't think it really came down to goalie play. Um, you know, Nashville came out in the first game and they tried to play their heavy physical game, and it really didn't work. And they just didn't have an answer after that. Um, you know, they 
I, I thought they had a good showing in game two. That was the close one. Um, I think that was a a good way for the Avs to, to maybe prep for a more difficult opponent. But, um, you know, in the end, it, it just wasn't a close series at all. I think you could kind of tell because the of the strategic strategic decision that we made to not have a show last week that we kind of decided that if they had lost a game by then, then the series would go long enough for us to talk about. If it didn't, then they were going to wrap it up pretty quick, and we guessed right. <laughs> so um, I know that I predicted the series would go six. Um, I do forecast some adversity, but yeah, the, the abs just rolled right through them. So, you know, where I thought that maybe Nashville would probably score a little bit more. Uh, I agree with Earl. I don't really think it was like Ingram's fault. He did enough. Like he wasn't stealing a game. I guess, you know, he almost didn't game two, but he did enough. Like, that's not the reason why they didn't really win. It, it was because they couldn't score. It wasn't really that, you know, the, the scores got that out of hand. You know, like, obviously, it was, what, 7-2 to two in game three or 7-3, to three, but it kind of got that way after a while. So, um, in a way, I kind of wanted the abs to have a little bit more adversity because I, I think it would have prepared them a little bit better for round two, but we'll see how, how it goes. Um, just to be a little bit more battle tested. I just, I don't know that these really quick round ones are doing them any favors, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to lose and get in round two again, which I don't think so, but um you know, we'll see where they're going to have over a week's worth of rest, which is a little ridiculous. But the second most rested team will be St. Louis. So I think it's good that they also sort of wrapped it up quick, too. But we'll we'll get to that. It's just um, I expected a little bit more from Nashville. But looking back on it, it does kind of seem like this is how it was going to go. Yeah, I think yep. that second game kind of reminded me of when they were playing um, Arizona a couple of years ago. And Kemper had that one game where you know he just stole it, um, and that was kind of the second. Uh, that that was kind of what the second game was like for Ingram. You know, that was as good as he could play, and they still didn't win. And then after that, um. I don't know if it was his confidence or the team's confidence or maybe the Avalanche staff um, sort of pinpointing some things they wanted to work on as, as far as how they wanted to attack him. Uh, but it just, you know, he he never played that well again. Right. I was a little surprised by, like, game four. They didn't go back to Riddich. And I know he was, like, not good in game one. But it's not like that was just all his fault, right? It was – the abs were doing a lot of it and creating those chances and, you know, making life hard on him. But like he had won against the abs previously, right? Like he was the guy in the net when they won the shootout victory. And um, I guess what I'm saying is, was, you know, he was their backup all year. He had played well against the abs. 
at that point, you know, yeah, you kind of saw what you were going to get for Ingram, which was good, but I thought that they would have gone back to Riddich for game four. You know, just change it up a little bit, you know, to see if he could get in the net and get motivated, steal something. But they were just, like, totally done with him. A grand total of eight big saves from Big Save Dave. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not like he had been terrible all year. That's what I'm saying. It's just they just really, like, kicked him to the curb. (laughs) I mean, you kind of have to look at it long-term for the Preds. Like, obviously, Soros is their starter for you know, as far as the eye can see, um, you know, Ingram is probably more like their backup long term. Maybe Riddich just doesn't have a role. Who knows? Not after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet he wouldn't want to come back either. But that's kind of the thing with third goaltenders is they're inconsistent. Like, you might get a really good game from them, but can you count on that? for an entire series, eh, probably not. So it's not like it was going to get better from Ingram after game two. I mean, I thought he played well in game four. and it just- I mean, he did fine. He definitely wasn't like the reason why they lost. I mean, of course, Saros would have been better, but yeah, it's not like he crapped the bed or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, Nashville had the lead early in the third period in the game four. Yeah. So, you know, he was keeping them in it in that game. And it just those those two goals, you know, pretty quick in the third period. Um, I think the Avs should have figured out sooner that the way to beat him is really like pucks through traffic. You know, like they were doing a lot of deflections and stuff like that at the net front. But then when they sh- rolled back the tape of, because he was the one that blew it against Arizona, which, you know, Vlad's favorite moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and when they famously gave up a 4 to nothing lead, and that's the reason why they played the Avs in the first place, and how they were beating Ingram was a lot of long-range point shots. Yeah, the funny thing is if you just sort of look at, at game two in your mind, like, there's never anyone around the net for the Avs. And I'm sure that's something they really wanted to focus on in Game 3. Now, in Game Um, 2, there was a uh, disallowed call, if I'm not mistaken, that the Avs challenged and lost in that game for goaltender interference. Yeah. um, Which is dumb, because you shouldn't challenge that. I was a little bit more on the positive side of that. Like It was so hard to score. At that point, you're kind of like rolling the dice. Because that goal was so important if they had got it. Because, yeah, it would, have, would have tied. I'm trying to remember. Would that have it given them a lead? Yeah, yeah they, they would have been ahead. Okay, right. So that could have been enough to close out the game. And I know you do the challenge and they were wrong. And then they had to go on the penalty kill. But I think because it was at the end of that period, it makes it a little less threatening for the other team. Because then it's split between periods and and this and that. So, but it probably was a moment of a little bit more Hail Mary from Bednar than usual. Like he's usually pretty good about getting a handle on what may or may not be considered goalie interference. And um, I think it was Lekkonen, right? He was pushed. Yes. Yes, he was. So it, I mean, 
Ingram for sure was not able to make that save. But the argument now you're thinking, been, that's that's the other one. That's the one that <laughs> Nashville challenged and lost and then gave up another goal right away on their part. Well, yeah, what that was um, game Game three, three, right. But no, I remember this one because it was so hard to score. And but it wasn't Lekkonen both times. It might have been. I think it was. And he I mean, he was definitely put like he was definitely in the goalies way, but he was also pushed. So I could kind of see why they went for it. And it was a little bit a little bit Hail Mary ish, but I think there was a legitimate reason why they went for it and it didn't work. But, you know, at the time it, it both, it was difficult for both teams to score. So I think he also had the confidence that they could kill that penalty and they did. So, I mean, I guess it would have really hurt if like Nashville scored on that and that's why they lost. But yeah, I didn't mind it as much, but you know, you just don't want to start through throwing those challenges out there and getting burned all the time. Right. I mean, for me, like I didn't like it. And like the confidence for me would have been like, you know what? We don't need that goal. We can score anyway. And if we can't, we don't deserve to win. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. But sometimes when a goalie's dialed in or it's the personality of the game, right? Like sometimes it's just difficult to score. And, you know, we complain all the time about those long range point shots, but that, that was really the way to beat Ingram is he does not do very well with traffic. And then I like Frank, (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to Frank. (laughs) And, um, you know, like that's how Makar went in overtime was he finally got a screen and, and just went for it. Yeah. And that was a fantastic screen in front. Yes, it was. It was O'Connor. He even jumped out of the way of the puck. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it didn't bother me that they had to take a game to overtime. It's just kind of like the way the playoffs are. I think you kind of got to be prepared. You kind of have to win a game in overtime to win a series, I think. Yeah, I mean, again, like if you're not going to have a competitive series, at least have a competitive game or two. (laughs) <laughs> like if they had lost that game I think they still would have won it just would have been longer it would have been a 6 or 7 like I really feel like as good as everybody was and how the Avs played I mean they dominated Nashville analytically with goals on the scoreboard most games but I really do feel like in game 2 and 4 Makar was the difference like if just he was out and they had everybody else still I don't know that they win both of those games. Well, I mean, someone's going to do his job, and you just you wonder, you know, obviously they're not going to be Carol McCarr, but... Well, yeah, I, I know. Then you'd see Byron play more minutes. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing either. It's just, I think he's the reason why they swept. I think the Avs are definitely better than Nashville. They played better. They would have won this series, but it probably would have gone maybe a game or two longer i think because like a 22 or whatever it was shot attempt performance in game two is just absurd and then game four like he took the bull by the horns not to say that like they wouldn't have won anyway but it was close nashville did have the lead in the third period 
it's hard to sweep a team. It's hard to beat a team twice in their building, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, like, he's the one that was just like, no, we're done with this. And you can see just, like, the way he elevates his game, you know, all those cliches. But he really is able to do it. He's just like, we're done with this. We're scoring a goal. Here you go. And it is incredible to watch. Yeah, it- I think another thing you want to look at in this series, like you had a couple guys that you usually count on to be horses for you that, you know, just didn't have it. Like Mika was, you know, he, he racked up a bunch of assists, but he didn't have a goal. Um, I think Miko got better, but definitely like game one and two, he still looked like halfway ill or something. Right. And then Kadri, um, no, I he think had, he's still he had, dealing with his yeah. upper body injury. And yeah, the, the amazing, like I was looking at, at Naz's stats. Okay, like he was on the ice for eleven goals and only got points three times. He only had a goal and an assist. So, like the thought that there are eight goals scored when Naz was on the ice and he had nothing to do with as far as you know creating or scoring them. That's weird because he's generally you know the guy that handles the puck a lot. So. Um, you know, I, I don't think he played bad in the series. Like he just—I mean, he wasn't not obviously, but um, there's obviously a lot more capacity for. Him. Oh yeah, he needs to be better. He hasn't really been like this year's Nas since he's been back. There might have been one or two games finally there near the end of the regular season. I think when they played St. Louis, that was probably like one of their better efforts at the end. I mean, that's the one they won. Only good effort. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But it was, it was their better effort there near the end, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, the eight days off that they're getting here is, you know, that's a, that's a good thing for Nas. Uh, We're still not sure about Gabe because he wasn't at practice today. Um, but obviously coming off knee surgery, like he's been, you know, he was really good in, in a he couple was. games, but he was good, for sure. he ghosted in a couple too. So it's like, you want to see Gabe, you know, able to contribute a little more consistently. I think he did enough. I mean, a lot of what you're seeing from him is like four checking and I think he was good enough to, through the whole thing for me, but I, I mean, am a little bit concerned that he's taking this much time off. Like, um, no, I don't. I mean, concerned in what way? Like, is he not going to play well enough? I think he played well enough. So, um, but, and of course, he'd probably sore and, and things like that. But they've had a lot of time off. And the fact that he just can't practice, I don't know. That yeah. does make me a little concerned. Right, especially if it's something like the doctors are telling them don't practice. Um, you know, if it's if, if it's something that it's just, um, you know, he's getting treatment off ice and that that's, that's good enough for what he has to do in this series, then, you know, okay. But if it's something like the doctors are like, you know, you need to limit your time on ice because it's still tender in there. That's That's not great. Yeah, because what was the other day? They, was it at Morning Skate? No, I'm trying to think. Um, 
yeah, wasn't it morning skate? And then Ben was like, oh, yeah, he's playing. And you're like, I mean, I probably believe that. But it's just kind of like. One of the games in Nashville, yeah. Yeah, and you're just kind of like. Was that the maintenance day practice? Yeah. Yeah, but I feel I feel like it was morning skate or something. But anyway, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just a little odd to me. But I know this is the time of the year that you're going to play through anything. If you can physically lace your skates up, you're going to play. So am I concerned that, like, he's not going to play? Probably not. But, you know, just already missing that much time when they've had a lot of time off, a lot of break, a lot of rest. I don't know. It's not quite what I would have expected. Yeah, I mean, the tough thing is you're, you're probably looking at you're not going to be able to play him, you know, mega minutes. Um, you know, it's like they, they did go back to Three-Headed Monster a few times in the series. And, you know, it's like that doesn't seem like that would be an option to make that a full-time thing. Not, not that I'm advocating they should because it, it, it seems like you know, Nuke on the first line, Lanny on the second line with Kadri. It's like that's working pretty well right now. And using the three-headed monster catches catch pan. I, you know, but that seems like a better way to approach this. Uh, that's like their the offense town. generation package, right? Like in Game Four, they needed a goal, um, especially when they went down. So you could see. And that was the only time in the series they were trailing, right? It was only like five minutes or less right. than. But you could see that that's when that gear was engaged, right? It's He put the three-headed monster back together. I think that's when Burakovsky was on the second line, which um, that's also part of why they gave up one of the goals in game four. But um, And then you could see, you know, just the directive especially for a guy like Byram. I mean, the way that he can dial his game to aggressive is, like, very different, right? And so you could just see that he was in that mode, you know, where every single time that he's on the ice, he's going to be not even, like, up in the play but at the net. You know, when he plays just that balls to the wall, you can just tell that, like, that mode's been engaged. And then they only needed it for a little bit and then went back to you know, close this game out, close the series out, but it kind of gives you an idea of what they're going to have to do if they're ever down or lose a game, whatever. I mean, I think that's fine. I I think having several looks, you know, if you're not going to change up the personnel in the lineup, which it doesn't look like they're going to, um, then you have to be able to give teams different looks or it's, it's, it's too easy to counter. Um, you know, you play the Blues two two games with the same lineup, like they're going to be able to counter some stuff, and then you know, if, if you're already at, at your at your best, you know, capacity, uh, where do you go from there? So it's you know, well, it's I, probably I, no secret. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff. Like you hope that they really do have a few more ideas. I'm sure they will. I mean, at I least hope. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much you know they usually just you know put the best lineup you can out there every night and don't try anything new um and we'll know, see I, there, there's still the same questions about are they ever going to change the bottom six um you know what do they do with cogliano back since he was gone after what like three minutes or at least three time on ice minutes it probably was the end of the first period 
you know, do you put him back in because that's how you started game one, or do you yes. give credit to <laughs> O'Connor because they won three games? Because that's with what, him that's your best lineup, and that's what they're going to put out. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not so sure, but the others definitely is going to start that way. But like, as much as another sweep would be wonderful, like it's not going to happen. They're going to lose a game, and they might have to make some decisions. Like, you can't have New Hook out this long, right? Like, you have to do something at some point with him. Or don't. <laughs> if you win every game and you win the cup and <laughs> never lose a game, I guess not. But Yeah, know. I don't know. I mean, it's like... There's going to have to be some There's just no there. interest in putting, you know, him in or Murray or McDermott or, you know, any... I, I guess these guys are the black aces now because they're they're really not, <laughs> um, you know, they're they're not really sort of options on a nightly basis. Well, I just think there'll be a few more tactical decisions. I guess we'll see. But um, if they really hated New Hook, they they truly could have sent him to the Eagles. Like he was eligible, he was papered down. Could have sent him this week with them doing absolutely nothing, and they didn't. So I mean I don't think it's like that, but it's just you know I, I, I like I said before, um, Newhook and O'Connor are the two youngest guys not named Miko on the team uh, as far as forwards. So uh, you know that seems to be the way they want to do the lineup. They want the experience. They want the you know they want the oldest lineup they can put out there. But at some point they're going to need to generate goals. Like, I know it sounds crazy. The abs are never going to have trouble scoring goals, but this is how they get eliminated in the playoffs is when they start having trouble scoring goals. So it is going to happen. And yeah. And they won't be prepared. I mean, again, this is, <laughs> it's the circular argument we go through every year. It's like, if you, if you're not prepared um, to try something new, then when you need it, it's not there. And then you're going to end up losing in the second round again. Um, yeah. I mean, I hate it. Like, um, you know, I get why you wouldn't want to put New Hook in there for game one against the Blues, but it's just it you're, <laughs> you're gonna be better off in the long run if you do that. He scored his first NHL goal against the Blues, <laughs> and yeah. um, I didn't look up like his stats against Blues in in the season series, but. Like, you're going to need that punch, right? Like, that's what happened in the Vegas series. They took him out. It was a mistake. They put him back in, and he creates a goal with Dawn Squad on the fourth line. Right. So, and again, I, I, like, I can see kind of why they wouldn't play him against Nashville because they're a big, heavy, stupid team. And, like, you know, his game is probably the worst it can be against a team like that. Um, and not that St. Louis isn't kind of big, heavy, and stupid too, but they're you know they're a little more skilled. So, um, yeah, you're, you're going to want more of a skilled lineup. Um, and we'll just have to see sort of how things look after a game or two. Like, yeah, I mean, it probably does take a loss at this point. And I agree with Bednar not putting him on the fourth line because we've complained about that for years. You just throw a young guy on there; he's going to get 
such little time on ice, bad line mates, bad situations. Like, what do you expect? So I'm fine waiting for him to get in on, like, the third line. But then the guy that's been on the third line is Obey Cabell, and we like him, but he is not beyond the fourth line. So it's sort of like an excuse there that's not really true or half true. Right, and the guy you'd want to replace on that line is obviously Comfort, which they're not going to do. Um, you know, I, I think honestly, not that I would wish harm to anyone, but it just, you know, if Comfort wasn't able to go for a game, I think that might be, you know, the best thing for the team going forward. Because, you know, he, he was definitely one of the ghosts in this series. And that line... Although it wasn't tested, that line struggled the most out of all four. You know, it's, it's like, like Bert Koski almost... was able to use his puck moving ability to make up for the fact that, you know, there wasn't really a center. But when they got in the offensive zone, it's like, all right, you pass it to QB and then, you know, um, you know, it's like that. That was that was a tough line to watch for a lot of the series. <clears throat> yeah, it was strange because that never really had been a line before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, you can put Burakovsky anywhere, and he's going to be able to do that thing because it's like, you know, what what he's really good at doesn't depend on line mates really. Like, you know, his, his big thing is. Puck is in defensive zone. I'll get it into the offensive zone, and then we'll try to figure something out. And then hope it comes back to me for a shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I would love to see him score more, but I think he provides so much more in his puck transportation. Um, I will say it, I loved him shooting through the net. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was pretty sharp. That, that I think that was one of my favorite moments of the series. I mean, obviously, Makar, his moments. But, um, you know, outside of him, I thought that was pretty amusing. Just the way that it, like, opened the game. Nobody had a clue for, like, a full minute. And the abs are kind of like, wait, we scored. <laughs> and that's weird, and- too, because, like, I haven't seen that. I don't, I mean, not that I've watched every game. But I don't, I don't think I've seen that in any of the other series where something like that didn't have a, a game stoppage to figure out what happened. And then uh, the broadcasters were just like, oh, everyone on the ice was so sure. You know, Byron was so sure. Like, he was all the way on the other side and put his arms up. And it was like, yeah, he knows. <laughs> everyone Bo here. knows. Yeah. Oh, knows. Um, he needed yeah, a quarter a- goal there. The funny thing was, I actually watched Altitude for that because um, I'm trying to, th- I, I can't even remember what that game was, but I, I'm pretty sure I watched it time delayed. It's like Monday um, so, night. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So I had my choice of broadcasters and I decided to go with Altitude because I don't, you know, I was thinking like, this, you know, this might be Peter McNabb's last game. Um, I, 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 I hope. didn't think of that, but. At that point, yeah. it was on my television, so there really wasn't a choice. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I just figured, all right, you know, if this is Pete's last game, you know, I want to see it. Um, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll go with Altitude. But Pete was like, oh, there's no way that's a goal. You know, it's like everyone's just <laughs> playing along. I was like, man, that really looked like a goal to me. Like, 
It was. And Moji was so sure it wasn't a goal, too. This guy was like, wow. Can't believe it. It really was a goal. Well, yeah, the other broadcaster just like, oh, you know, the abs were so sure. And they definitely commented that, you know, Byron was all the way on the other side of the ice and he thought it was a goal. So it's like, well, <laughs> I, I think they were a little bit more on the fence. Kind of like, maybe they need to look at that, but play's moving on. So we'll just call the game. Yeah, and it's and- funny because they showed the bench and Bednar's looking at the ice like, well, what are you guys doing? There's like, <laughs> we just scored. <laughs> I'm sure like Brett Heimlich is, you know, in Ray Bennett's ear saying, yeah, that went in. We got to, you know, if, if, if they're not going to call a goal, we got to challenge this. Yeah. And uh, I think another one of their arguments was the way it like deflected, like, you know, when it hits the crossbar it deflects a certain way and just the way that it kind of like lightly bounced behind is like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was like, it would have violated laws of physics if it wasn't a goal. Kind of thing. Right. And, and, like, and it was a really fast shot, too. It's like, I, I can see, like, in real time, like, not seeing that. But, you know, unless you're right there. But, um, you know, I mean, yeah, that's that was a fun moment. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how it holds up. But I think I'll, I'm going to remember that one. And just like Burakovsky really hadn't done anything either. And, like, he has the game seven streak, which I'm counting on if we get there. Well, we're going to need the Burkowski magic in game seven, but it was like a little taste of it. It was like, okay, game four, we got to close this out. <laughs> this is where Berkey shoots through the net. <laughs> right. And honestly, like, you know, the, the lines of practice still had he and, and Comfort and, and Kubi together. So, um, which I think was interesting because I'm just, I, I'm not sure what the staff is seeing out of that. That's, you know, that's saying like, just four we, we consecutive wins. That's what they're well, saying. It's, it. Yeah, but all right, they had to mess with the lineup and, and, you know, move Burkowski around. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just, that, that's definitely a weak point that you think they would try to do something other than just say, hey, you know, you guys got to play harder, right? Well, I think they want to open with it. Like, if it's not broke, why fix it? But like we said earlier, we kind of know what they're going to go back to. At least the first look when when they run into a little bit of trouble is three headed monster. You move Burkowski back up. I think it was Lekkinen went down, and maybe that's truly sort of like their idea for the series. But I think the idea is they're probably going to want the what you know what we call the fourth the the Sturm line to go against the Blues' third line. Because the Blues' third line is skilled and can score. Uh, and I just can't see wanting, you know, that comfort line against something like that. If you can get the comfort line against the Blues' fourth line um, and, and Sturm against their third line, you know, that works I out. I think it also them. depends if Sturm can use his arm. So we'll see about that. <laughs> like, he was not taking face-offs. No. And uh, if they really want to think of it as something that they're going to use that heavily defensively, then you kind of would hope he's a little closer to 100%, which, yes, he's been in practice, no maintenance days. It's a good sign, but I still would like to see evidence the arm works because I also think he sort of 
uh, caused a goal against when he couldn't clear the puck. And I, I think it was due to lack of strength in that arm. Yeah. So I think that's, that's going to be a big factor, but I know they'd like to use him, but you do have all these extra players. Can you really justify it? If you have somebody that's actually healthy that you could play instead. I mean, I, I just think it's tough because he's the only center in the bottom six right now. Sure, but then if he can't even play center, <laughs> he can't take face-offs. I mean, outside of the face-off thing, because, like, Helm can take face-offs, and it is what it is. I mean, it's not going to be as good as, as Sturm taking face-offs, yes, but as far I mean, as what I know, I know Sturm that does as far because... as controlling the middle of the ice, yeah. like, he still plays F3. Yeah, I know that the person taking the face-offs isn't necessarily playing center, but it is a big role, especially if you're going to use it as more of a shutdown line. I would like to see him, you know, healthy is what I'm saying, too. If you want him to play this important position at center, you know, you kind of want your arm strength. Yeah. So that that's one thing that I'm curious about, too. And... You know, it's great that they have all these extras, but I, I think it is a fair question. Like, is it too much? Is it, have they sort of created a little problem for themselves here? And it's like, okay, one or two guides go down and you're like, thank God we have NHLers and we're not calling the Eagles. So I get that too. But, you know, you went out and got Manson and you, you didn't play Jack Johnson at all. For me, I don't know. It's kind of a wash there. It's just... Is there such a thing as too many extra players? Because they are humans. They need to get in game shape. They need to be contributing. Like, it's not just playing a video game and you just swap somebody out. Like, these are real considerations to make. I mean, whether it's one extra guy or five, if you're not going to play him, it doesn't really matter. It, so I guess that's what I'm getting many at. Thing. It's is... the fact they don't use anybody. Well, that too, because we know Bender likes his lineup, and, and we heard for the last two months of the season, you know, they're going to swap all these guys out, and they didn't even really do that until, like, the last two games of the season. And it's just Bender's this way. He likes his lineup. He likes to roll it, especially if they're winning. And you would think that having extra players would be, like, a competitive advantage because you could do so many different looks. The opposition truly doesn't know who's dressing. But they just don't play that way. It's like so dumb that Benner is like, oh, I'm not giving the lineup. And it's like, you've practiced the same way the last three days. Like, what do you think the lineup's going to be? <laughs> and lo and behold, it was the same lineup. So it's like, I think there's somebody that's employed by either Nashville or St. Louis that has noticed these trends too. It's kind of their job too. <laughs> so, you know, who are you fooling here? It, to me, it, it, it makes no sense to me. Okay, it's the playoffs. You want to be as secretive as possible. It gives you no benefit to give out information. But yet you have these tried and true practices and ruts that you get in. And these stupid traditions of like first goalie off. And everybody knows what it's going to be anyway. Like you can't have it either way. If you truly want to be secretive, then be secretive. But it's like, quit trying to fool everybody, because you're not. Yeah, I mean, I think the only, you know, the only question is if O'Connor 
is going to stay in the lineup. And I don't think so, but um, we'll see. But, I mean, sure, that's truly something that could be a coin flip. But, like, we'll also see when the scratches stay out, you know, after morning skate. So we'll know then. And, you know, does Craig Brube really give a crap if Helm or O'Connor or Cogliano are playing on the fourth line? Like, nope. does that really matter? <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to change what he does? No. And even if it did, when they see what the scratches are after morning skate, he'll be like, ah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I think, you know, when when people are asking Bednar about, you know, whether there are going to be any lineup changes for the second round and you know, he smirks and says, maybe. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, he, I think he's being honest. Well, <laughs> sure, because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, right. right. Like, you're probably bet on there be some difference okay. either because yeah, of I mean, injury, a meteorite but... might fall on someone's house and they can't play. So, <laughs> yeah, there could be a change in the lineup. It's just, it's so, so dumb to me, truly. And, I know. It's just the way it is. It's the way hockey is. It's just how ridiculous it all is. <laughs> but just, yeah. It's interesting to me to see how other teams deal with it. Like, I'm, you know, I've been watching a lot of Hurricanes games both this season and, and in the first round. Um, and their fourth line is set up a lot differently. Like, they have a shutdown third line that, you know, it, it's in, instead of having you know, sort of a, a third scoring line like a lot of teams have moved to. Like, they, they have their veteran shutdown line um, as their third. And then their fourth is, is kids. It's Kakaniemi, it's Natchez, and, you know, some guys, you know, Derek Stepan is a veteran and sort of tailing up, tailing off a little bit. You got Stephen Lawrence is kind of young, but um, sort of a big four-checking guy. Um, you know, so it's they, not like a waste of space line, though. Like, it actually does... Well, that's it. their third scoring line. Like, you know, Natchez and, and Kakaniemi are on their second power play. So it's it's not like your penalty killers are on the, on the fourth line. Um, so that's that's one way to look at it. And you can almost look like look at it like the Avs, you know, what we call the third line with Comfort. You know, that might be their fourth line. Um, so maybe that is kind of handled the same way. Maybe they do want to treat Sturm's line as, as kind of their third line and their shutdown line. But, um, you know, it, it, there just isn't the rotation that you see with other teams. Um, you know, and, and that's just something, you know, if you expect it now with the way Bednar's coached since he's been here, like, you know, that's just not going to happen. He, he just doesn't do that. He doesn't surprise them. You know, he he likes concrete things he knows about, and I can't really argue with that. But I mean, sure. The downside to that is like when you need to make a change, you know, then you have a a, a little more unknown than maybe you need. Right. It's exactly how the series got away from them last year, and that's just what our concern is. Like, of course, you won four games in a row. Of course, what you're doing is working, but it it happens very fast like you don't have time to just say like oh it's going to keep working like you have to make that de a decision of because you don't have time to wait and see so is it going to be better for you to make a change or not and 
like we saw with them, just like the train came off the tracks and there was nothing they could do about it. They just watched it happen. And, you know, we just don't want to see that happen again because that is going to be, if they lose again, is going to be one of the damning things is not making the right adjustments and fast enough. And I know that's asking for a lot, but, you know, winning a cup's hard. <laughs> you got you to gotta be ready to do it. So we'll see. I think it's also important to make the distinction that uh, that Vegas team in the second round last year and this St. Louis team this year aren't exactly the same in a lot of ways. Uh, there, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of firepower on that Vegas roster, and they and Flurry was dialed in. Uh, I mean, yeah, and- they were a good team for sure. But what, had had they gone to seven against Minnesota? Like it wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, they weren't thought of as just, like, this juggernaut, you know. The, the Avs were still favored. They had won the President's Cup. I know Vegas had just finished just below them. Like, it would definitely was, like, a, a yeah, meeting they were tied, of the heavyweights. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it was thought of as, like, a meeting of the heavyweights, for sure. But, you know, we saw they had problems eliminating Minnesota and they had to go to seven against them. And I know Minnesota's tactic very much was just like, keep them into the outside and just wait them out. And then they would like score at the end of the game. And I know the abs would never do that because they want to be the aggressors. They want to create their own scoring chances. I think that's a good thing is they want to win that way. They don't want to win by waiting around for it, but they have to kind of get in that mind frame with their decisions. I know it's easier said than done because you just don't want to throw everything that's been working out the window. Because you might just have one bad game and the next game the same old could work for you. But you can't hold on to it that long. You have to be ready. And hopefully they have practiced or thought of some alternative things to do. Yeah, and I guess, you know... the. The bright side for someone like Alex Newhook is that, you know, he is, you know, he, he is the designated stand-in for when uh, guys like Kadri and Gabriel are not able to practice. So, I mean, he's getting good reps there. I, I don't know how he could be better prepared other than playing. Um, what do you yeah. think they would do if, let's say, surprise, Gabe can't play game one? Would they actually play him on that line, or is it just... I think they put him on this. I think they put Burakovsky there and then put Newhook with Comfer and Kubi. Probably, but because um, yeah, as a stand-in, you're kind of like the designated extra. But yeah. it's just a thought, you know, that I have to be kind of thinking of what do we do in this circumstance. <clears throat> Maybe this isn't quite a related question that I'll ask here, but the Avs had to make a goaltending change in game three when Kemper got hurt and Pavel Frenzos came in, did enough to elevate his game and do what he needed to do to get these, uh, these guys into the second round. Of course, he, they didn't have to rely on him to steal anything because the Avs were just that much better than Nashville. But 
would you say that there may have been a change in how the Avs played with Kemper in the lineup versus how they played with Francois in the lineup? Or was it really just negligible due to the disparity in the skill between both clubs? I'm going to say I think it was fairly similar. Um, I, I think more, not necessarily because it was Nashville and they were pretty close to getting the fork anyway, but because, I mean, you think about it, those were the two road games. He came in cold, first of all, in game three. And those are the, the two hardest games to win, right? So even though Frank did okay, like he gave up three, you wish, you know, maybe he would have given it more like, too so it wasn't like he like you said he he didn't steal anything but he did enough he shut the door he didn't give them life he won the two tough games on the road and i don't think the abs really play that different in front of him just because they're familiar with him like he's been around kemper's gone down a few times where you know frank was the guy for a stretch of three four games so I just think they're just comfortable and they're familiar with it. Like, um, I think it was Taze that said the only thing that's different is just because Frank catches with the other hand. Sometimes they have to be aware of that with some of the, you know, breakouts or something. Like the puck might be coming from the other direction. You know, some I forget exactly how he said it, but that's basically what his point was. But other than that, they don't really do anything different. I can kind of believe that just because. You know, Frank really is a part of the team now. If like Annan or someone else had to come in net, then maybe, you know, they really have yeah. to think about it differently. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, it was an interesting situation just because there's less than a minute left in the first period when that happened. Um, you know, and, and they actually, they had sort of a, a sphincter clenching moment uh, you know, with the last, I think, 20 or 30 seconds, the Nashville had a pretty big flurry. And it's like, there's no way to prepare for that, you know, regardless of who's coming in. So it's like, you can't do anything different. They were just scrambling. Um, but it's, you know, over the course of the intermission, it's like they could, you know, perhaps change some things. I, I do think Kemper and, and Frank have sort of different weaknesses. Um, Like Frank is definitely, um, he doesn't track the puck from distance as well. So it's like, he's going to let in more goals from long range, but he's much better in close range. Um, It's it's a little bit more of a battler, I'd say, and Kemper's more positionally. Well, it's just Kemper's bigger and he can see the puck from farther away is what I think it boils down to but it's like Frank is able to get close to the ice. So when it's like really close, he's very quick and his thighs isn't a detriment at that point. Um, you know, it's like shots from dif- distance are, you know, that that's kind of where smaller goalies are, are liable just because we don't fill up as much of the net. Mm-hmm. So it's just, that's, you know, if you were going to do something a little different, you might, sort of focus your defense a little more towards the blue line and clogging up the middle. Um, whereas you might not have to do that with temper. Um, but think, it's like, that's such a subtle point. I just don't think like that, that's something you would prepare for. 
I think the abs don't like to be reactionary, kind of getting back to like what we were just talking about. They want to be more proactive. They want to do more what they do. They don't want to get into the trap of like a, doing things different because of like outside reasons, either what the other team's doing or adversity or who's out of the lineup. I think they really want their identity, their game. I don't think that ne- that's necessarily a bad thing either because it has helped them be as good as they are. But in times where maybe you need a reaction, I think they can be slow to get to it. So as far as like the goalie discussion, you know, maybe there are little tactical things they talk about that we're not aware of. But I think they want to, in general, play the same way because then that way you're not as impacted by things that you don't have control over. Like if you can keep driving the bus regardless, that's like the best thing for them to get to where they want to be. Most certainly. And I think we've seen over the first round of uh, the playoffs here that teams that get out of what they want to do, you know, end up having big time problems. Like I'm, you know, like Calgary's had a hell of a time with Dallas and we know that they're, you know, that that's just a tough matchup. Like Dallas just doesn't want to play hockey. They just want to clog up the game and, (laughs) And why I mean, this, why I, you know, the funny thing is, is, like, in all those polls, and I even wrote an article, like, a month ago, and it was like, who do you want to play? And I said Nashville, and everyone's like, oh, no, 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 and it's true we didn't know that Saros would go down, like, that hurt, but do you really think that, like, we would not have beat Nashville with Saros? I don't really think anybody believes that. And then yeah. it was, I was just like, I do not want to want to watch this team, I don't want to play that way, and there are a few people out there on Twitter that they made a good point. Like Dallas just sucks the life out of a game so much. They make it a coin flip and yeah. it's very dangerous because any team can win a coin flip. Right. And and Calgary's really struggled with that. Like we'll see tonight whether they can actually pull it off. Um, you know, the Panthers obviously struggled big time with Washington and Washington does some of the same things that Dallas does. They're a lot more skilled and they, you know, they have a lot more offensive instincts, so it's it's not exactly the same thing. But, you know, they try to suck the life out of the game. Well, Florida's uh, so strange because it's like, I don't think they know how to play their game unless they're down. And it is very dangerous for the other team because you can't really ever kill them. You can't close them out. You just got to hope the clock runs out before they get the goal. But... That might be a detriment to them down the line, especially if scoring dries up just for everybody. And it's like, you have to be able to generate offense while the other team's pushing, not when they're trying to hold on. Right. Now they're going to play a team in Tampa that's, you know, basically has the same kind of, you know, propensity for trying to suck the life out of the game, but they're a lot more skilled. Um, They're a lot deeper team. So... You know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, and you also have Andrew Burnett, who, you know, is is not not even completed one year of NHL coaching yet. Um, and I, you know, I think he's done a great job with the time that he's had in Florida, but it's, you know, it's like he doesn't have experience to draw, um, you know, other than he was a player for a long time and involved in all of these situations. So it's not like he's coming from nowhere, but. Well, Florida also hadn't won a series since the '90s, and which is funny for mm-hmm. as, as like as much crap as the Leafs get, which they have deserved. 
there's teams that haven't done anything in even longer. And I know more. Florida, Florida wasn't good for a while. <laughs> That's part of it. But, you know, thinking that a team is going to win the cup when they haven't even won a playoff series since the 90s is a little tough. That's why it's like the same teams over and over again, because you really do sort of need that experience to get to the end. And we'll see if any of these quote unquote, you know, new age teams can do it. And I don't even think it's necessarily like it's the style or you can't win with skill. It's, it is sort of that experience and just you being able to grind through it is what some of these older teams know how to do. It's not because they, the way they're built better. It's just because they've done it. Right. And I think if you're Florida, like, you know, what you said, like, uh, you know, they don't really flip it on until they're down and, and they can't play like that. Like what they need to do is go out and attack in the first five minutes and just not let up. Like they're, they're not going to play well uh, from behind until it's too late, basically. So, you know, they need to come out and get the lead on Tampa to keep going for it. Um, you know, and, and I think that's kind of something the Leafs struggle with. Like, I, you know, I didn't watch the whole series, but, you know, last night they just, you know, they were not the speedy, skilled Leafs that you generally see. Um, they fell into the trap of playing Tampa's game, and it's just, you're not going to win that. You know, it's like Tampa's done it a million times now. Like, they are used to playing that way. If you're playing their game, you're going to lose. Um, well, it's also just that you just have that belief and that knowledge that you can do it. It doesn't matter if you lose. Like, they got embarrassed game one. It just truly didn't matter. And yeah. Teams like that know how to turn the page. And everybody can sit there and say it, but you have to truly be able to do it. And just put it in the bin, take away what you need to take from it, and say, yeah, we did that bad. And then just get back to your game. Yeah. Um, but it's I, coming back to what we need to see from the Avs in the, in the Blue series. I think, you know, they have to play their game and make sure that, um, you know, they're not going to play into the way the Blues want to play. Um, I think they did a great job of that last year. You know, obviously the, the Blues have. You know, they've got some players they didn't have last year. Um, they also are missing most of their defense, as far as we know. I don't, um, so. At this time of year, I think you have to be ready for a miracle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't really know who's going to be back, but it's like, you know, Scandella came out for like two shifts and looked horrible. I, it's just, you can't see that working out. Um, I Personally, I'd say maybe not Krug, just because it really does seem like he did yeah. something with some ligaments, but... Yeah. You know, as far as the others, I think pretty much you just have to expect a miracle. Right. I just i i don't think i i don't think St. Louis can come into this series and be like, we need to, you know, we're, we're going to be able to count on our defense to really back us up uh, when we're playing in the offensive zone. They're probably going to flow and cycle and use the defense sparingly. I mean, that's just you know that that would be the smart way to play it, regardless. Of, Who's back? You know, they're unknown quantities at this point. And as far as the ads, I mean, it's if they're they if they if they are able to skate them to death, um, it's going to be a quick series. 
you know, if they defeat that first layer and get past the forwards with the puck, um, they're going to have a pretty easy time. Like, I liked how the Avs played in that last game against St. Louis, and I think it was still fairly, you know, competitive. Like, St. Louis was still trying to get ahead of Minnesota, and, like, I think it was pretty close to a real game, so that showed, like, what you were saying. If if the Avs can play their game, it's like you have they're going to have seven chances to play their game, and they should be able to win and and finally get ahead of the second round. Like another takeaway I see from watching all these other teams, nobody's that good. Like it is not easy. And this is obviously some place that we haven't been past. So it is going to be pretty monumental, but none of these teams are good. Right. I think crazy. like nobody is better than us. I just, I, I, I keep thinking of how overrated the East is. Everyone kept saying how great the East was. And, and, like I've said before, it's like they had a blob of eight teams that basically clinched in early November. And those are the eight teams that were good enough to be in the playoffs. And um, Yes, there are some good teams there, but it's like, you know, for, Florida definitely looked fraudulent at times. Like Carolina really struggled on the road against Boston. Um, the Leafs obviously have been eliminated now. Uh, you know, like Tampa... I, you know, they took out the Leafs, but they looked tired. They looked old. Um, you know, Pittsburgh struggling with goalie injuries and, and Crosby being out for the game six. Uh, you know, the Rangers, total frauds. So it's like, the, you know, the, the East isn't as good as everyone said it was all year. It's just they had eight good teams and eight bad teams in their conference. And they just, you know, the good teams beat up on the bad teams all year. Um, it's also something I've said like I think it's the top seven if you go by the whole league the top seven or eight teams they're all kind of this like new blood or whatever you've got Florida and Carolina and us and you put Minnesota in that group and like none of these teams have even been past the second round like you don't have the big dynasties I guess like Tampa didn't even finish in the top eight so you know are they the closest to that is like the team that actually has accomplished something that's still around. And I guess you could say St. Louis is sort of that way, but like these aren't the, they weren't the top teams in the league this year. And so that's what I'm curious about. Like, can any of these new teams, abs included Carolina take that next step? Are these the teams that you're going to see in the conference finals in the cup finals, or is it just going to be like the old dudes again? Like if we're sitting here looking at a St. Louis Tampa cup, like you just, you just want to throw your TV out the window. Like it's, it's like none of these new teams were able to do anything. And I think that would be the worst thing to see. Right. I mean, I, you know, generally, in the series I was watching, I was, you know, I, I wanted to root for, you know, the new team. Like I, you know, right, I live in North Carolina, so I want to see the Kings win anyway, but you know, I want to see them defeat the old school Boston team. I wanted to see the Leafs beat Tampa. Now I wanted to see <clears throat> I mean as gross as it is, you kinda do hope the Rangers beat Pittsburgh, right? 
Are you sure you want to ask Earl that question? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm saying for this round. I'm not saying anybody needs to see the Rangers get far, but. I mean, they're no, not good I, enough to get that far, but yeah, you, you just want you want to see it. One thing, it's just novelty, but two, you want to see something new. The, something yeah, the, the page turn, the generation change that you don't have to have the old guys that have played in 100 playoff games win all the time. You want to see young players succeed, new teams, fresh thinking, you know, the all these other things. Right, and about I mean the only thing I've enjoyed about the Rangers, uh, I don't know if we can call it success yet, but um, you know their their kid line has been sort of a driver for them. Lafreniere, Caco, and, and Hedl. Um So that's nice to see that it's not just you know like Kreider and Sabinajad, you know, sort of their their older players driving this. Like you know they they are trying to be a little bit new school. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I want to see the, the younger teams. Like I really wanted to see the Kings beat Edmonton. Like they just, you know, they were, they were probably a year early for, for doing something like that. Like they, you know, in a real division, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs, but you know, they're in the Pacific. So there they are. Um, but yeah, it's like, you want to see a team like Los Angeles have a little bit of success and you know, hopefully they'll be able to build on that with their younger players next year. But, um, you know, we were talking about Dallas way back at the beginning of this. I would love to get in a time machine and just see like, what would that abs Dallas series look like? You know, I, I'd like to think it was with real players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying if it, what would have happened if, Nashville hadn't collapsed against who? Arizona. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're very happy with how it worked out. We're not going to trade it in, but just, you know, uh, would it have been a lot more difficult? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think the point we're all getting to here is, like, the, the playoffs are generally really bad once you get past Definitely the second round, and most of it past the first round. And it a lot of that is because sort of the old school teams that know how to win have a lot of glue guys, that kind of thing, always end up winning. And you're just like, you know, I want to see some skilled hockey. I want to see, you know, the kind of stuff you see in the regular season. Um, you know, it's like that's that's the kind of stuff that that will draw new fans in like if you're gonna see just people clubbing each other over the head the whole time you're just gonna have a lot of people that tune in and say like you know what i'm, I'm going back to the nba it's just it's not for me but if they see you know a, a team like the abs with a lot of skill end up in the finals with an opponent that's you know one of the newer teams like carolina or florida um you know, that's going to do a lot of good for the sport because it's going to be good. It's going to be high scoring and high skill and fun. And that's how you grow the game, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, let's hope so. And for as bad as I think the first round has been, at least we've seen scoring. We've seen offense. We've seen a lot of penalties called power plays. We've seen a lot of scoring on the power play. So I think a lot of that is more quote unquote regular season 
esque, and and we'll see. Do things tighten down now in the second round or not? But they usually do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I just thought the first round's been really strange. It's you know the trading blowouts. Uh, everyone thought that all the game sevens were great. It, to me, it's just was such a sign of mediocrity is what it was like the reason why game sevens are compelling is because it's like it's the do or die right it's the winner takes all truly a must win yada yada all that but it's like it has to be good hockey for you to want to see that and i feel like we'll see how today's games go but the carolina game that looked like that should have been over like a week ago and nobody, I mean, it should have been pretty clear. Nobody was even watching that Edmonton game. And it was the same thing. It was like, oh, yeah, the better team's going to win this. And you knew that from, like, 10 minutes into the game. There was no, like, edge of your seat, no, like, oh, boy, how's this swing going to go? Like, the, the Leafs-Tampa one was certainly the most interesting. And it was, it was I mean, that was just a terrible game. I mean, yeah, no scoring, but at least it it sort of had a back and forth feel a little bit, or it sort of had intrigue. The other two games had no intrigue. Like, I don't even care that it was game seven. There was no intrigue. Yeah. So we'll see how the rest of these games go, but it just, to me, it just underscored just how flawed all these teams are, and that you can trade blowouts back and forth. Like when the Avs had their overtime game, it was the second overtime game. So for the yeah, second I, round, I would like to see like better hockey, or at least more more evenly matched hockey. I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. All that I matters. Mean, is what the I Avs don't want to see in the second round is what you generally see in the second round is just things really tighten up and slow down. Um. I mean, I'm not that worried about the Avs series just because I think they can dictate. But just in a lot of these series, I, I think a lot of teams approach it very conservatively. And, you know, they're, they're out there. I mean, I, I know everyone says, like, you can't be out there not trying to make mistakes, but that's it's sort of, you know, how coaching works. You know, they're going to emphasize defense and, you know, I, I think that's just that that's, that's not a great way to approach it. I hope there's at least enough difference. I mean, there's Edmonton. It, and as old school as they are, they just don't play that way. I mean, <laughs> I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens if they end up having to play Dallas or Calgary. But, I mean, that's just not in their DNA. Or Florida, like, they, they're not going to play defensive. And hopefully the Avs don't get sucked into it. Like... That's just a big worry is if, if the offense dries up and it shouldn't. They have so many weapons, so many ways they can score, but, you know, we see it. And that's kind of how they get eliminated is the offense dries up either if it's just sort of bad luck or this or that, but, and then they can't generate enough. Yeah, I mean, you just want to see them keep a good pace of play. <clears throat> I think That's they something can. He... I really do think they know their identity. They know their game. And Benner really gets on them. Like, if they're not in their game for five minutes, like, he cracks the whip about that. So I really do feel like they know how to dictate and grab the wheel and drive the bus. But, you know, it, 
if the puck's not going in, I do think that they can still tend to get frustrated. I mean, I think I think if they keep a good pace, I'm not worried about it. Then that's their game. I mean, the the shot pace that they had against Nashville was ridiculous. I mean, it was you know 25 percent above what they generally have in regular season. So they're basically in the offensive zone all the time, shooting whenever they want to. It's not going to be that easy against St. Louis, but. You know, St. Louis is not a possession team, so I think they're going to have opportunity to do that. Yeah, I feel like from the Minnesota series, it was Minnesota that dictated the five on five, but St. Louis had the better special teams. Yeah. And that's going to be something else that the Avs have to really watch. And, um, you know, it is one of my big worries about the power play drying up. And it didn't happen against Vegas. That was one of the few things that was working. So I think they know how to keep it going. But yeah, I mean, I think the worry about special teams against St. Louis is obviously St. Louis's power play, which has been very good all year. Again, against Minnesota. Now, Minnesota's special teams have been horrible all year. So I'm not sure you can take a ton of them in that. I would say that's something that Nolan Pratt and Jared Bednar are probably concerned with is how how do we how do we keep St. Louis from using special teams to make this series closer than we'd like it? Um, and some of that's going to depend on officiating. Uh, some of that's going to depend on how good their power play is. Yeah, I'm definitely not ready for like the ref the refs lost us this game type of stuff. In general, I don't think that is the case. Like in rare circumstances, like when we saw with the really, really stupid too many men on the ice, like that you can make the argument that the refs blew that. But yeah. you know, the other stuff you just can't you can't let that be an excuse. You know, unless something's just so extremely egregious like that. And, you know, the the other thing I hate about the playoffs is you don't want to have a bad hit dictate either the game or the narrative or whatever. And, you know, I'm not especially looking forward to that. Did that happen last year against St. Louis? I can't <laughs> seem to recall. <laughs> it did. <laughs> <laughs> that's not something we need. No. So I hope for very little of it both ways. I know that's not something you really control, so you can't really worry about it, but you know, it is one of my least favorite parts of the playoffs. And everything's legal. Headshots are legal. It sucks, but that's the way it is. <laughs> so, so 
so obviously we're uh, we're going to be seeing a little bit of a different St. Louis club than we saw last year. Uh, of, of course, uh, one of the biggest differences for them to our detriment is the addition of Brandon Saad. And he was he was great for the abs in that first round last year. Uh, and he's been an important wheel for them this uh, this season. Uh, we've already talked about the uh, question marks on the back end and the goaltending is questionable uh, considering that Vile Husso started the first three games against Minnesota and Jordan Bennington ended up coming in to take the next three games after replacing him. I I feel like, do we even see Husso this year? Because... I think Biddington was the last one for sure. The Biddington Husso played the early played... game, didn't he? No, because oh. Biddington had the swinging his stick. It caught oh, his yeah. head. Was early, so I don't. And then I think because we played St. Louis super early, didn't we play them like second was, game? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, and uh, twice in October, and then just right before the playoffs started. So in game one, uh, that first game of the regular season, it was Biddington and goal for that game. And in St. Louis, uh, a couple of weeks later, it was Biddington again. So it was Biddington for the entire run. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's kind of how I felt. Like, we haven't really seen Huso, And I know that he kind of took the reins in the middle of the year. So it's really hard to say because we haven't seen him to say, like, how legit he he's been for them i guess good enough like it was over a long enough stretch but um yeah like the biddington thing has definitely he's sort of made himself a storyline against the abs and i know last year he got pulled multiple times so i guess in a way i hope they just go with that because i think the abs know how to get in his head and how to beat him but um <clears throat> I think they would go with him first. I mean, because he closed out the series. So I think you got to kind of go with your guy there. But it will be interesting to see, like, how quickly they get away from that. Because, you know, why did they play him against the Avs in that last game that we just played? Wouldn't you rather play Huso just so kind of like, both guys have seen the abs. So it's sort of an unknown both ways. Does that favor us more? Does that favor him more? I don't know. From what I've been hearing, they've been going back and forth between the two guys, just sort of hot handing it. Um, so, you know, I, I would say like if Bennington loses the first two games, we'd probably see Huso in St. Louis or something like that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if that makes a big difference. You know, I, I just, I don't see that as a strong point in their game. I mean, it seems to me like they're going to have to outscore their problems defensively. So. And it's just funny. The narrative is like, oh, Bennington won, has won the cup. Like he knows how to do this. And it, it's like, you know, I do, I do believe there's a certain amount of credit you get for that. But on the other hand, it isn't like, if you've been playing poorly, it's not like, oh, you won the cup one. Isn't that kind of like the Matt Murray problem? Like, at some point, you have to let that go. <laughs> and Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to, like, just, you know, be like Minnesota with Flurry and just keep putting them out there to their detriment. But, um, 
Because, yeah, it seems like the whole year they've sort of kind of figured out they needed to get away from him. And it hasn't been just a this year problem. It's been basically since they signed him, kind of like, how much can we really lean on this guy? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, any I, goalie can have a hot streak. Like, he could too, but I think that's true for anybody. Yeah, I just – I, I – I am not scared one bit about facing Jordan Bennington. Um, you know, like you said, I, th- I think the Avs are pretty comfortable with what they need to do against him. Have many, many pages of notes on how to get, <laughs> get it done. So, <clears throat> um, you know, who said that? Obviously, they haven't faced much, but you know, they. He basically was their goalie on their AHL team for a year. So I like, know it's bizarre. Pretty well. <laughs> <clears throat> it is bizarre how you know they share that one year, and you still are like familiar with a bunch of these guys. Yeah, and it's not like it was even recent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Strange bedfellows, indeed. But that's true. If, if the organization doesn't have any notes on him, that's definitely their bad. <laughs> I think that's... I, I think more and more uh, I've seen evidence that the Avs goalie scouting department is sort of a a stealth weapon that nobody really talks about much, but it really helps them a whole lot. You mean opposition scouting? Yeah. Um. You know, it's something they invested in quite a few years ago. Like they they brought in, you know, let's see, what's his name, Mike Battaglia. Um, his, you know, basically his job is to break down goalies and find their weaknesses. Um, and you know, I don't hear other teams talk about it. Maybe every guy, every team has a guy like that. Um, but it's, you know, it, I. It does seem like that's something that they use a lot um, that can be really helpful. And I know it's, you know, people complain a lot when you see, you know, guys on the abs like constantly like shooting several inches above the net. But it's like if if they have a really good report saying like, don't bother shooting low, you've got to get it in the upper half of the net, um, you know, you might you might have some nights where you're just going to get constant shots over the net like that because of the scouting report. Maybe that's not a great thing. Maybe, you know, sort of following your instincts might work better, but. um, I think it does kind of get back to like the abs try to do what they do best. Yeah. So I don't, I can see that they don't want to like scout over scout themselves to death and try to, you know, we're told to do this. We're told to do that. Like, what they've been doing has been working for several years. So, you know, you, you just hope that more often than not, that's going to continue to work for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think given time, they can find ways to, to get enough goals past any goalie. Um, you know, they have the skill. I'm pretty sure their goalie scouting allows them to focus their skills um, 
you know, I, I, and I do think, you know, the difference we saw between games two and three in the national series was that was goalie scouting because they played completely different in the offensive zone in game three. And maybe that's just what Nashville allowed for whatever it's, you know, reaction but it really did seem like what they did was like if we make these moves we're gonna get goals past this you know work let's hope it keeps working So we still don't know when this series is going to start, uh, which is unfathomable at this stage, considering that we are finally on the final leg of Game Sevens that are going to, you know, start here in the next uh, little while. Yeah, no, because the only thing I can think of is their conflicts and like the. The only thing that's really up in the air is where the Pacific Division finals are going to be. Um, the, well, other I, three, the other three series are set as far as where they're going to be. I, one thing I'll be interested to see, will there be any tomorrow, any Monday no. games? Or if it's going to be like total by They're not going to announce like at midnight, like, hey, there's a game tomorrow. Um, well, I mean, not for anybody that's played today, of course, but... I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, like they need Florida time Tampa for ESPN be... to hype it and things like that. I mean, it's just you can't announce a game less than twenty-four hours. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. But I guess one of the problems with the Avs is Dallas. That if they move on, and then also the NBA team is still playing. If both those teams move on, then um, I don't know if it's building or TV or what, but it, that seems to kind of hinge a few things. Right. The so, Mavericks are also playing a Game 7, I think, concurrently with the Game 7 tonight. So, yeah, it, it would be kind of ridiculous the Avs got pushed Wednesday. Like, I think we all want to get going. I don't necessarily think if the Avs had had rest and St. Louis didn't, that was a good thing. I, I do think there's a little bit of something to that one team that sweep facing a team that played Game 7. It's just... One team has momentum, the other doesn't. So St. Louis was the second team to advance. So they've been sitting around a while, too. So in a way, I do kind of feel like it, it sort of evens the table there. But, um, you know, I like having a little bit of a stress break, but we know we got to get this thing going, and waiting to Wednesday would be a little unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, a finite amount of time they have to complete the playoffs. I mean, you know, they, they have until very early July to get, have the game. Oh, seven. I think they'll be done before. I I don't think they have till July. I think it's probably like the third week in June. They ain't going to make that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't go every third day in the finals, for sure. I mean, like... The early July is seven weeks from now, so. I mean, the draft is on July seventh. Right, that's what I'm saying. And like, here they gotta, they've got to wrap this up by July fourth at the latest. Let Let me put my reporter hat on, by the way, and let Ooh. you know 
that development camp will be on July 12th. <clears throat> One can only imagine who might be there. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. 96th overall will be there. <laughs> but just an aside, you know, put it on your calendar, folks. If you have the ability to get down there, it will start on July 12th. All right. So, I mean, with, with the draft on the 7th, like you could, you know, you can say the banquet's going to be the 5th, which would be a Monday. So, um, no, I think that's the weekend. Yeah, the 7th and 8th is Friday. Friday. Is it Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday? I think it might be Thursday, Friday. I'm, I'm pretty sure July 4th is the Sunday year. Yes, it is. We get that Monday. Um, okay, Thursday, Friday, yeah. So, I mean, you could see the banquet on the 5th and the draft on the 7th. So it's like they pretty much have to finish everything by the third. Oh, yeah. I think they'll definitely get it in comfortably in June. So, I mean, uh, yeah, at some point you can take all these extra days. But hopefully, you know, we won't have all these wonderful games. The, the third seven. is seven weeks from today. Just <laughs> Yeah, sorry. The 4th of July is a, is a Monday. We, we want to be... Yeah, we yeah. want factual on this show, like when we didn't, when I didn't mention that Nashville actually played in the playoffs last year against Carolina, but nobody remembered. Yeah, I actually uh, forgot about that too. There's weird division. Yeah, the central Oops. division. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we got to play the same old, same old. Yeah. <laughs> horizontally but not necessarily vertically <laughs> central <laughs> alright so let's go into stars and scratches for the first round uh, Jackie go ahead and start us off and tell us why it's Kale oh well yeah I mean I was going to say that's the easy one because I think he completely took over game two and four um, he was good throughout but I think in those two games he was extraordinary um just special special player it's it is definitely very nice to have him on our side that's for sure <laughs> um and i don't even think it was like it, it's humanly impossible to do it every minute of every game but it's not even something that unusual for him like i said you know i watched him live against columbus him turning on the switch on some random Monday night against Columbus. It's just, <laughs> you know, that that's just Kale. So, um, I hope to see a few Kale moments to come, but like I said, I don't even think it's that, like, at the ultimate peak of his game either. It's just kind of, like, focused Kale, and he just is incredible. So, it's lovely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the overtime goal. I mean, that's... <clears throat> it, was, it wasn't exactly that. undressing Doc in Chicago, but um, it, it was pretty damn good. Yeah, he just and he just hammers that thing, and you see it live too. You're just like, 
Holy cow, does he shoot that puck hard. <laughs> and he put yeah. a similar move on Riddich in game one, too. Yeah. He, yeah, uh, he knocked it off his mask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's just so involved with the offense. I mean, it's it's so hard. Like, Just imagine like taking footage of Kale McCarr and, and showing it to coaches in the mid-90s. And, and it's just... <laughs> You know, even when you had, you know, it's like you had guys, you know, like Coffee and and Ozilinch and and you know, there there were good offensive defense and and I mean Brian Leach was fantastic, but it's like you keep seeing those kind of guys and and, and people that coached those guys marvel at what McCarr does. Um, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky has been a, a huge fanboy of Kale. And, it, you know, I mean, that says a lot just because, yeah, he's the great one and, and all that. But it's like he played with coffee. Um, and it's just to, to impress a, a guy like Wayne that, that's seen it all. Um, you know, that's tall cotton. I'm sure the car's heard about that. And I'm sure his cheeks got even rosier. <laughs> he's, he's just an assassin this is what I call him he's like an assassin he's just he's just smiling assassin yeah exactly he'll, I mean he really will he'll like stab you in your sleep he just like it's just so ruthless but just the way he does it like you don't see it coming and then it's just you call that a slap shot game <laughs> <laughs> I know he's great I love his wit too like he's just he he is the humble, the nice kid, you know, and I truly believe like that that's his personality, but he, he's witty. And I love that about him too. It's like, you're just like, wait, did he just say that? <laughs> no, he can get away with some stuff just because, <laughs> but he's got a little, that sharp wit to him, which makes him kale too. But um, it is fun that he's, you know, game to do a lot of that, the media stuff and the commercials <laughs> and gets into it. So yeah, he's this pretty pretty special guy. But like you said, like he's changing the game, and I think we're seeing a lot of these teams have success, like Carolina. You know, some of these that have invested in defense that, and Florida's that way too. That you know, def- truly the defense is part of the offense, and I think it's way easier said than done because a you have to have a coach that's willing to fully commit to it and B you have to have players you can't just have one offensive defenseman the guy that runs your power play and that's it like you have to have it on every pair yeah I mean I think we saw with the Leafs last night it's like they're they are missing that aspect to their game and it's very obvious um, that yeah, that's sort because, of like they're that's they're, them a level below kind of where the abs and the kings and the Florida yeah because they have it in the forward talent and they they need someone to get the puck in their hands and they're just not doing it. Yeah. I mean, they, they have infinitely more forward talent than Carolina does, but they're not as effective. So it's, you really look at sort of, you know, having, having guys like Pesci and even Tony D'Angelo and Brady Shea, along with Jacob Slavin, who's, you know, not really an offensive defenseman, but he creates a lot of points. Um, like that can do a lot more offensively for your team than having, you know, three ten million dollar forward. 
But it's like you can be as offensive-minded as you want for the forwards. If you don't believe in that with your defense, you're not offensive-minded anymore. Right. And it's just if you don't have that commitment from the back end, it's just, you know, it, it, you can't – like Bednar has said a million times, like you can't just score with three guys or even four. Like you need five guys attacking the back. Um, yeah, and and I think that's where like the perfect marriage of that Bednar was willing, and that that's his philosophy. That's how he sees it. And then they went out and got these guys that have the talent, and it's not easy because, like I've always said, you they have to be intelligent. Like not only do they have to have the speed and the puck skill, they're responsible for so much of starting the play, reading the play, everything, and like. Probably 20 teams out there would just probably take a step if they just had Byron, just because he brings that to the table where a lot of these teams don't have that, especially in like a younger guy. So, I mean, that's what all these teams need to draft. Yeah, it's. I I think that's one reason they were fine with getting rid of Tyson Berry. I mean, Tyson Berry is a very good offensively minded defenseman, but more in the old school way. Yeah, he can't. You know, he he can't play this kind of system just because you know he just <clears throat> he, he 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 just doesn't have that mindset that you have to be a, a 200 foot guy to be able to get your offense school and, and i've always said he's not that skilled i mean he obviously has had a long career and scored a lot of points like he's obviously doing something right but barry at the end of the day isn't that smart or that skilled to be that guy like he can be one of them Definitely but, not smart. <laughs> yeah. But he kind of falls in the trap like Edmonton is like, oh, this guy is our one offensive guy. And it's like, no, it, it's not going to work like that. Right. And it's just, and, and there's some defensive guys that, that can help it and not create any points. Like there are times like, like I think if Josh Manson stayed with the abs for three years and I'm not advocating this, I'm just saying like, you take a guy like Manson, like he's got sort of the mindset that he can help the offense out, be responsible, um, and not be a liability. And, you know, like hopefully well, that comes to like- fruition during these games. But it's like he's not going to be a kind of guy that's going to generate a lot of goals or whatever. But, you know, we saw a guy like Ian Cole, like, you know, at the end of the year a couple of years ago, like, where the hell did he get 30 assists? And it's like, you know, <laughs> Cole had the the correct mindset. He just, you know, sort of had problems with other parts of his game, you know? Well, sure. Like, some guys love they have the green light. Like, that's fun. I'm sure I'm going to go for it. And other guys are just like, uh, it's sort of like the Ryan Murray problem. It's like, he has the green light, but he's not really comfortable with it. Like, other guys, like you said, Ian Cole are like, cool, I got the green light. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I think of Manson a lot like Graves. Sort of like, not necessarily like what you were saying, not necessarily the offensive gifted guy, but, you know, if you play that long next to guys that score points like that and and you get used to having the green light, then sure, some stuff could happen. <laughs> right. I'm just saying he could, you know, he, I think, could re- begin to read the play well enough that he's not going to be a liability like doing the pinches or whatever. Um, you know, it's like, I don't think it would, you know, results in, you know, sort of Nick Holdening 12 goals or anything like that. But I just, well, like you know, I said, I, I, I kind of seem like Graves. So, I mean, whatever you think that kind of ceiling is, I, I see Manson do that. But 
I mean, it, it's also shown how difficult it's been for him. Like, you know, he, he has talent and ability. He's a legit top four, but it's just not easy. It's not easy being a D and especially stepping in. And I hope they learn that down the line. Like, don't really think about getting another rental defenseman. A, you know, there are even going to be even fewer assets next year. And B, it's just, it doesn't work the way that you think it will. It could if, you know, if you got someone from a team that plays you know, that kind of style. And just, you know, there aren't that many right now, but, yeah, but you know, down the road, I think more and more teams. For our scant pool of assets, it's just not going to happen. So. Right. No, I look at the, all right, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ethan Bear, but, you know, Edmonton sure, kicked him to the like curb. And, yeah. Right, and, and he goes to Carolina and, you know, like he starts playing in that style and he takes to it fairly quickly. And, you know, he, He's he's their seventh defenseman right now. He's not even playing in the playoffs, but it's like um, you can take a guy like that, and if you know if they've got the right mindset for it, uh, it can be successful for you. But yeah, Kale's my star, so thanks, Vlad, for making it easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a real scratch though, so there are a couple. All right, I won't totally take the the easy route. So you, yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Gabe, even though he was inconsistent because just coming back totally cold and dropped right into a playoff series. um, You know, he would, he had the four point game and that's where most of his production came from. But um, I really liked the fact that, you take a guy like that that I mean he missed so much time. You think about it, like what was it, March fourteenth was his last game before the playoffs? Um Yeah, something like that. Carolina right. game was the last game whenever that was. So, you know, he, he misses six weeks or whatever it ends up being, um, comes back and he's able to to drop into you know, being Gabe on a on a second line situation and popping up with a three headed monster. And I didn't even necessarily think he was that inconsistent either. Like I was pretty happy with, I thought he was like really good the first game and like the third game, obviously, because that that was when he just went nuts. But, um, you know, second game, maybe not, not as much. And and I think he was kind of running out of gas a little bit. um, The clincher. But, you know, hopefully the rest is doing him good and the time he's had to take out of practice, which he didn't practice today, I mean, that's that's just going to make him able to do that again in the next series. Um, but he just I, – I think he has such a calming presence on the lineup. And, and you just think about how different that line would look if it was Burkowski instead of him. Um, I'm not trying to yeah, say like the Burkowski there, but it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a really different line with Landis Gonzo. And you know, all the leadership, everything like he, he is their leader for sure. So. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like he, you know, when Gabe's on the bench, I, I just, I, I think it helps everybody. Vlad, do you have a star? I do. Uh, the easy pick would be uh, Nathan McKinnon. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, for sure. Like, I do hold the bar pretty high for him. That especially what I want to see in the second round. But yeah, the guy had a goal in every game, so <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay, so like we know his, his sort of shooting difficulties he had for the first two thirds of the year. But he was, you know, he was racking up tons of assists. And in this series, he had five goals and one assist. So, what's up with that? <laughs> How do you I mean, go from one extreme it. to the other? I'd have to look at it. I'd have to guess that his shooting percentage was pretty good over the four games. Seventeen um, and a quarter. Okay, I mean, over a four-game sample, that's really not that crazy. So, right. So, um. I know one of them was the empty net goal in probably game four. Uh, but, yeah, it, I think that is good for him. Like I've said before on several podcasts, like he needs to score goals to feel like himself. So, you know, the, the fact that he's got the shot working, you know, will hopefully not l- lead to early frustration and, and then he'll be able to pot a couple important ones in the next series. But I, I also have liked how he's played. I think you like to see him being aggressive and fast, but channeling that in a good way. And I think he was. So yeah. I I agree with the star. Like he was definitely driving the bus in the, the first series. Yeah. And you kind of look at Val Nichushkin's shooting stats. Like he generally doesn't generate as much as he did in this series. Like you know, he had, 29 shot attempts like that's that's a lot over four games for Val. they connected a lot i noticed right a lot of pass to each other like in the zone it would either go to val or nate one of the two right and you know i i think that which is sort of weird did that kind of leave miko out in a way i think miko left himself out But it's He's no longer ar- ghost points. Just ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of the argument you make. Like when Berkey plays on that line, he sort of does what Miko does. So it, it's it they sort of cancel each other out a little bit. You know, yeah. are they finding a little bit of that with Nuke, especially if him and Nate are vibing? Which you know, we're not saying that's bad because if they're both generating a lot, then that's good. But oh no, I, I think I think Val is just doing what Gabe does. Um, just a little bit differently. Yeah, I think a little bit different too, but it could be a little reason why Miko I means <laughs> unless he's going to be someone's scratch. He's not my scratch, but I guess he could be a scratch. <laughs> and I definitely would like to give an honorable mention to Pavel Frenzos for getting it done in Nashville. I agree with that too. I think yeah. that was not easy. And he did the job. I mean, and also, you just have to think, after going through what he went through with getting that puck in the face from McDavid, and then seeing Kemper writhing on the ice with blood and everything like that, (laughs) I mean, that's just got to be the hardest thing for him to see right before going on the ice. Yeah, and how he described it, he was like, oh, I knew I was going in right away. (laughs) I saw him like getting ready, like he was over the boards, like right, right as soon as the whistle went. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I guess he knows Kemper well enough that that was like not something you're just kind of kind of shake off. <laughs> so, 
So I know. I think Frank worries some people a lot. I I don't know. I mean, yes, he's the backup, but I think he's a pretty solid backup. Like, if they had to rely on him for a series, I don't think it would be that much of a drop-off. I mean, Kemper's earned the net. He's the guy. He, he had a fantastic second half, so it's not anything against him. It just... Frank doesn't worry me that much. I mean, every goalie kind of has their moments. And not like Kemper's been perfect either. So this whole like, oh my God, thank God Frank's not in the net anymore. I mean, no, we definitely don't want to lose Kemper. But I think it's more because after him, it's like total butt clinch. Not because like Frank is going to lose playoffs for us. I, I mean, I think the worry for me about Frank is just the goals he lets in from distance. And that's just... He doesn't do a. I mean, he doesn't let in a lot, but he's I think he also let is in better more. in a group. Like we, <laughs> we've seen him cold a lot. We've seen him after a week. We've seen him come in, in the middle of the game. Like, think of how many times did he even have to come in in the middle of the damn game this year? Like several, like a good handful. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not like Kemper was getting cold. It's like Kemper gets. Yeah, bizarre like, things happen to him. Gate blade falls off twice, <laughs> and he's got to play. I mean, who's who does that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> got hit in the head. Not that that was his fault, but just yeah, bizarre things seem to happen to him. And it's not like ever in Frank's start something happened and Kemper had to come in and and see what that's like. So I don't know. I think Frank gets a little too much criticism sometimes. I think he does not too. To- I mean, I I think. I think the reasons people don't have faith in him are, are somewhat unfounded. Um, and it's like, he, oh, he's in cold. Oh, boy, he just gave up a rebound. It's like, for God's sakes, the guy just came in cold. Like, <laughs> He'll come in and he'll let up a bad goal. Like You know he's going to do that. He's going to let in a goal from distance, and it's just Kemper doesn't do that. So you see that, and you're like, oh, geez. And, and it's just, that's just But then Frank. he like, shuts the door. But right. Frank can shut the door. He can put it pa- past him. Right, but it just people see that and they're just like, oh, you know, and it, it, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, judge the game how you want. <clears throat> but, so, yeah, you know, they, I agree they, with- they each have their strengths and you just have to take that, that, you know, Frank's strength is different than Kemper's. So, yes, good job, Frank. And, do you think there'd ever be a situation where they'd put Frank in net as far as like a change up? Like, can Kemper lose the net by performance at this point? Or are they just going to 100% ride or die with him? I mean, I, I can't imagine it. Like anything, that would, anything that would be bad enough for Kemper to lose the net would be sort of a series losing situation. Right. And then that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just a question. I mean, it, as much as Benner likes to ride with his guy, I tend to agree that, you know, could he get pulled in a game maybe, but then he'd probably be back in the net the next game. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think as a coach, it's like, you can't do that. And, if it doesn't work out, like you may as well just quit. <laughs> Which the funny thing is, is like in the AHL, apparently Benner had the reputation of sort of 
doing the goalie shuffle and the whole time I mean, that's different the though because usually you're working with like two or three guys that are basically the same yeah. true and our philosophy too and in the nhl benefit right i mean i don't think he's he's like queuing pulling the goalie every single game or anything like that <laughs> But so is that it for Frank? Like he's he's not going to see the net. I wouldn't see. I mean, I just stop <laughs> <laughs> it. The last we've seen is Paul Francis in the playoffs. But no, I I'd even they feel that. Kemper, maybe they would probably do what Vegas did last year and put when they stood Leonard against the Avs in round one and two in round two last year. And they would do the same thing here that they would probably put Frank in. But I would probably say that Benner will not, will not do that unless he absolutely has to. Yeah. I mean, it's just that that's again, that's that's a fireable offense if you, if you guess wrong. Sure. I mean, I fully expect to see Kemper game one, and I'm not saying that's the wrong decision. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the photos from his press conference today, it's like there's still a little bit of swelling over his eye, but you know, I, I don't think it's anything worse than what Frank had, you know, sort of in the yeah, same situation. Yeah, at this situation. point. And scratches? Lead the way, Jackie. Who do you have? <laughs> um, go. And this is not a real heavy-handed scratch, but I'm going to go with Manson. I think he hasn't had totally egregious play or anything like that, but he was the worst analytically out of everybody. He was on the ice for several goals against, and... Um, I mean, obviously, they won four games in a row. It wasn't that bad, but I just don't think he's quite performed what they were expecting, or at least significantly better than Jack Johnson. I think that the usage dictates some of that. Like, I, I think basically he and Sam are the designated defensive defensemen or the shutdown guys, so they're probably going to be liable for more situations, but um, you know, again, I <clears throat> like we talked about earlier. I, I just think it's, it's an ongoing process for for Manson to to fit in with the team. That I mean, it's been long enough now, right? <laughs> I don't think you could just say, "Well, he's new and he's trying to figure it out." Like it's been two months now. <laughs> so early, are you uh, going to give up the ghost on this one? I am, Nico, and I think he. I, I think he, being sort of a a critic of himself, would agree with this. That um, you know, he just didn't have it. Um, you just you, you don't expect a guy like Nico to to go over the series. Um, yeah, that's fine. It's, it's okay. 
It's not bad. It's generating points. It's fine. It wasn't a liability out there in that respect. Um, I just, I, I think he just didn't look 100%. I'm not going to give him excuses or whatever. Um, maybe it was the sickness. You know, maybe he's dealing with other injuries or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I just, I, I think he and, and I'll put Padre in the same boat. Um, you know, some, you're, you're not going to be awesome all all of the series you play and it just certain guys come to life, you know, once the second round starts or, or, you know, maybe they're great in the first round and tail off a bit in the second round, whatever. Um, you know, I think we're all looking for, for Miko to, you know, be the moose in the second round. I, I don't see any reason why he could be. Um, I think they definitely need him to be for sure. sure. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, they're way better with him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think he got better. I think he was better in games three and four. Like you saw him do more. He was creating from behind the net. I think he had a couple really good setups that, if they had for goals, he'd get a little bit more credit. Obviously, if he'd scored himself. You know, like the power yeah, play. I mean, just, the power there, play didn't need a- him, but it will. Like he, he's the best power play player they have, and he's going to need to score a couple there. It wasn't just that. It was you saw a lot of times the puck would kind of die on a stick in the offensive zone, and he wasn't transporting the puck like normally. Um, and part of that was like McKinnon was really on the so, and it's like he, he wasn't asked to do that much. Um, but it's just you know I I, I want to see sort of at least an eighty percent moose rather than the sixty percent we saw in this round. But I'm not really worried about him because we've seen him be good so much. Like, Kadri, I think, is a fair worry just because, like, he's been bad over long stretches. And he had a really good year, and he was really good for most of this year. But, like, he wasn't even good last year, and that wasn't that long ago. So, you worry that he gets sucked into the trap a little too easily. Glad you got a scratch. Yep. I sure do. And it's going to be Burakovsky. Crazy, crazy shot through the net and all. (laughs) I'm hoping for, I'm hoping now that's the turnaround for him though. So I'll, I'll try to put a little shine on it that that was the start he needed to get things going, of course, now when, you know, eternity ends and we start this second round, maybe that'll change, but. You're not going to give him a discount for being on the donut. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I do know if they get to game seven, he's going to be money because that's what Berkey does. Well, here's hoping the abs won't need to find themselves in yeah. that position. That's true. Game seven would be a little too much heart attack. So, yeah, I mean, it is tough for him on that line. Like, what is he really supposed to create? No. (laughs) Well, again, I mean, he's basically being asked to play two positions. So I I think it's it's rough. And it's I mean, obviously, that line wasn't even a line until game one. So there's no chemistry there. Um, But I I mean, I I think it's fair to, to be critical of, you know, the first three games, at least. 
you know, I'm not. It's kind of the story of Berkey. Like you see him score and you're just like, this guy's amazing. Like how, you know, everyone's too hard on him. Like he's the most underrated player in the league. But then, you know, it's all the other times. It's like, you look at after the game so many times he played 12 minutes. Like it's not even an occasionally thing. It's like, it's like, he just really doesn't play that much. And we've talked about that. We're fine with it. If Bednar's figured out, you know, his equilibrium and, when you're getting the most out of him, that's fine. But he's such a tough guy to peg because he's he does have top six skill, but you can't really play him like a top six guy. And he doesn't really deserve to be on the third line, but that's just kind of where he yeah, fits I mean, with everybody healthy. So it's tough. It's it's hard to find a home for him. He might have a home this summer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I wonder if he's just going to go back to Washington. Like, he just really, truly loved it there. I wonder if they kind of, like, make a little reunion, bring him back. They'd obviously have to play him as more than a fourth liner like they did there. But, um, I mean, it's tough. I like Berkey. But but there is a limit to how much you can pay for what he does. Yeah, when you see that shot that just, you know, zips its way through the net. And you're like, wow, well, <laughs> it, it helps, you know, fill your, your balloon a little bit. And then it's just the rest of the time when the balloon deflates. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's tough. It's like, it's nice to have him. He is definitely like one of those depth ish guys. They you're super glad to have in your lineup, but there's just, there's definitely diminishing returns at some point. I mean, I, I think you're right about his TOI, you know, sweet spot. Um, and they were probably thinking, like, all right, we put him with with Pumper and, and Kubi, and he, he can, you know, be a major benefit to that line. And I think he was. I mean, I think that line was not great, and it would have been much worse without him. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a flawed construction. But again, it's like what you know if you if you're going to have Lekkonen on the the second line and Gabe's playing, you know where else do you put him? Good questions. <laughs> well, we might see a a mixture of spots for him here in the second round again when whenever it begins. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a rumor at this point. Really. Yeah, that, just like the rumor that Bender talks to the trainers. <laughs> <laughs> or that new hook exists. Legends and lore. <laughs> I guess their scratch could have been new hook, literally. <laughs> Oof. Poor guy. At least he didn't get sent to the AHL. So that lets you know they do intend to use him at some point. Hey, the Eagles made it to their uh, next round, too. That's true. We do have a little bit of news potpourri to, to bring up that, um, yeah, the Colorado Eagles had their, I don't even think we talked about them last time because they had their little play in and they had to beat Henderson in a best of three, which they did did help they had all games at home. They've played the entirety of their playoffs at home still. And now they're in a series with Ontario, which Ontario's the higher seed, but because of AHL travel, they don't do back and forth. 
So they had the lower seed get have the first two, and then the higher seed get the second two. But of course, that gives the the lower seed the advantage of starting at home, which the Eagles did take care of and won their first two games. The first one ten to one, and LA or not LA Ontario had some bad goaltending. <laughs> it was helped by that one. And then um, they won the second one in overtime with Foodie scoring the overtime goal on his birthday. Big 2-0 is Foodie now. Um, so they actually have put some prospects in the lineup, which has forced me to buy. I guess I will watch the rest of the series because um, they start playing Alausen, Sampo's back, Foodie has a real role, even they were even forced to play Bowers. See if that one continues too. So, um, and Ananin's back in net. So it's like they remembered the prospects and look, they're winning. Imagine that. So, so Godspeed Eagles. They might actually win a proper round this time. Well, best of luck to them in their upcoming round two. And then, um, I don't think we talked about Ben Myers, which he, like, completely vanished. You know, we all knew he couldn't play in the playoffs, but he was, like, gone. You know, they played that last game in Minnesota, and I was like, did they leave him there? Because he's not even practicing. Can't go to the Eagles. I mean, they could have sent him there to, like, practice, but, like, he can't play there either. Then it comes out he's part of the world championships for Team USA. Like, okay, that makes sense could have just said that but you know that's where he is so he's in finland right now playing for team usa he was on tv this morning got an assist to beat austria the world championships takes forever so he'll be there a while so we'll see how that goes but nice maybe to they'll see. get to play some miko ranton in disc golf the miko saunas uh, is the venue they're at going to be the same venue when the Avs play there in November? Probably. Maybe. Who knows? I don't even know where it is. He can do the uh, live reports from Finland. <laughs> it's true. He can tell everyone where everything is. So, I mean, good for him. Like, it, it's nice to see his season continue and doing something. And Because we know he's going to factor into the roster next year, right? Like, that's why they yeah. signed him. So, good for him. Yeah, I mean, I think any experience at this level you can get is, is is good. And even though the U.S. is kind of, you know, the the usual mix of veterans and um, you know, some recent college graduates and things like that, um, you know, it's, it's still a fairly pro lineup. And for now, they have him as the third line center, which I think is appropriate for him. That's probably what he's looking like to do with the Avs. And they're having a few reinforcements come from. Minnesota, womp womp. So we'll see if that changes any of his, uh, um, you know, role or anything. But it's been fairly consistent through the first couple games. So that's also kind of like what they're thinking too. So we'll see. But, um, you know, I kind of wish maybe like Cow could have gone to the World Championships instead of the Eagles. But I guess now they're on a real playoff run. And say, you know, at least he's getting something out of that. Um, 
So yeah, it's been a while since we had anybody at the World Championships, you know, making the playoffs and all. I'm sure Canada would have loved to have like Byram on their team because I think they really want that to like be able to put him in like World Cup or something, but just might not ever happen. So <laughs> I wouldn't even talk about him. Like it was Byram's first series. Does anybody have any thoughts about just finally seeing him in the playoffs? Congratulations. I thought he did well. I mean, it, it's an interesting role that he and EJ are playing. They're, um, they're not exactly the shutdown pair, but they're, you know, they're not like a second offensive pair either. Um, you know, the I, analytics were good, like 69% together kind of stuff like that but oh, that's pretty nice yeah it is but uh <laughs> obviously feasting on some lower competition but that's what you yeah. want to see like that that's why you have a competitive advantage so i i mean i would like to see him play a little bit more minutes and i think they might especially if they ever start losing or get behind in a game so they know they can throw him out with mccarr sam or whatever give him some more minutes but he has been in a good pair with EJ. Like they do seem to work well together. Just with EJ, you worry a little bit that he's gonna run out of gas, but this rest and break is probably good for him to start the series strong again. But it's I mean, nice I to EJ look fine too. I mean, I, I obviously that pair, you know, didn't play the same kind of minutes that McCarr and Taves did, but um you know, they played their role fine and um I, I I, I get the feeling it was, you know, it, you can't really shelter anybody, but I, I get the feeling that they wanted to make that line or that pair, um, you know, more of a learning experience for Byram and to, and to keep EJ out of being played too much. And it just works, you know, it works good for both guys. And it was just so nice to see Byram finally playing in the playoffs. You know, it took forever to get here, but. I wasn't really worried they weren't going to play him, but I did feel good when they had that first real practice and he was still with EJ. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, I, what's he's a guy that you can kind of see like as the playoffs go on and become more and more important. Oh, yeah, I can see him do more. Like, I know he's had a couple really good chances. He didn't, didn't really convert, but he just finds his way into good spots. Like, you feel like if he does finally ever score, it's going to be, like, a huge goal, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he just – I get the feeling he's just not as aggressive as he has been in the past, and he's concentrating more on, you know, being defensively solid and um, keeping his place in the lineup that way. I mean, not that I think that, that you know, putting Jack Johnson in there is a big threat, but um, – I think you know, Bender so he, doesn't like not playing – like, I don't think he cares about playing Murray. Like, to him, no. Murray's just not the AHLer on the list. You know what I mean? Murray's right. just so he doesn't have to play somebody from the Eagles. But I, I think he really would kind of like to play Jack Johnson, but it's just working for right now. But to the point about Byron being aggressive, I think some of it is a little bit of self-preservation. Like, it's just not worth it to just totally balls out everything and put yourself in a bad spot but i mean that's the quickest way he's gonna find himself out of the lineup i don't 
Why? Because he gets hurt, not because he makes a mistake. <laughs> no, I mean, it's if he's unpredictable. I, I, I really I think, think he's that... ever been a liability like that. Like, he's... He was never just, like, total wild man out there. Like, you just... it's. I think, like I said, I think it's way more about self-preservation, but... I think they I want mean, him to play like a vet, and that's what he's doing. I mean, I think they want him to play good defensively, good physically, but they've always sort of pushed him to be that involved offensively. Like, I think, you know, at times last year when Byron was good defensively, wasn't doing as much offensively, I think that they didn't like that. I think that they've always kind of pushed him to keep it going. It just was the Nashville series. They were never losing. And it, just in the five minutes that they were losing, if you looked at the shifts that Byron played while they were down, it was a complete difference because he knows how to turn it on like that. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> I don't know. I'm a little cynical. I just think that with he and Newhook being the only past 2,000 birthdays on the team, um, it, you know, the, the staff is, is looking at them as sort of the, the last guys they want to play. And, and you know, Byron was able to force their hand and, and Newhook hasn't. I mean, obviously, different position. I, I think you know, Byron's better. Um, they just kind of need that. I guess it's kind of a luxury on the third pair, but I also think they're going to need it too. Like, like I said, if they ever have trouble scoring goals, you know, you're going to need more than just Makar really turning it up to eleven. Like, you're going to need somebody else doing it too, especially when you play them together and they play like that. So I think we, we're going to see a lot more of, like, I'd say probably, like, 90% of Byron's balls to the walls. Like, I don't, he can't do it 100% and not get hurt, I think, at this point. So it's fine if we don't see him, like, completely up to 11. Because I just don't think he could do it anymore. Maybe he'll do it when they're that close to winning the cup. <laughs> he can be this year's Yui Crew. <laughs> <laughs> Put the coffee on, everybody. It's going to be a late night. <laughs> there will be some late nights. So I'm going to tell you guys that right now. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fully expecting 10 o'clock starts. Oh, gosh. Uh, well... In the vein of predictions, what do you both think about how the Avs will fare in the second round against St. Louis? I think the win. I think I'm feeling a little strangely calm about it. We'll see when it gets started, or if they lose, <laughs> they get a little bit more stressful. I think the win, I think they'll do it in six, and they'll probably torture me and, and do it on my birthday. Which, you know, I kind of didn't want stress on my birthday, but it's probably how it's going to work out. So, um, that's what I think. I think they'll win it in six. That's my prediction. I'm going to go, they're going to win it in five. They'll probably lose either game two or three. Um, oh, I man, just, I don't I, think it's going to be that easy. I think even. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just, I think they're just marginally enough better. Um, I, I, I think 
the reasons that everyone's giving that, that St. Louis could give the Avs a hard time, probably not enough to make it a hard time enough um, to win games. Um, I just, you know, I, I look at their defensive problems and whether they get some of their zombies back uh, in defense or not, I, I, <clears throat> not sure that's going to make a huge difference. Like if they got Krug back with 100% health and, and Scandella back with 100% health. Okay. I mean, that's, that, that's a, that's a big deal. I just, um, I think as built, um, they're going to have big problems controlling the abs. And I don't think their goaltending is, is up to the task. So, um, you know, I mean, five games makes it sound like I think the abs are going to dominate the whole tournament, and I don't. I think it'll probably be five close games, but um, it is sort of weird. Like the difference between five and six is like one game, but it just feels, you know, like a different series if you end it in five versus six. Right, because there's always that threat of a potential game seven when it gets to six, and then right. if it's only five, then it's like, well. Uh, you gave up one, but you you took care of business. So it, yeah. there's that whole different side of, uh, I guess, hope, depending on who is uh, trailing in that series. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the a sixth game puts a lot of a lot of pressure on the favorite or leading team, um, just because you don't want to go through the game seven. Wow. You know, I, I do think the rash of Game 7s we saw in the first round, you know, a lot of that was the pressure of closing it out um, in a Game 6 with the lead. Uh, I, just, I think it was just a lot of mediocrity. Like, I thought it was bad hockey, bad teams. Nobody could win consecutive games. Yeah, nobody could close it out. To me, it wasn't, like, a good sign. It was just, like, a lot of this is just terrible. So... I mean, is that going to plague the Avs? That's why I don't really think it's going to get to seven. I just don't think they're going to bungle it that bad. I just think, like, it, it's tough. Like, it's hard to win, and, you know, St. Louis is there for a reason, and they're going to have to go through more adversity. Things are going to happen. Bounces don't go their way. They might lose in overtime. You, know, you never know. So I just think it's just going to be more difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why, like, if they lose game two, I mean, that's that's kind of a big deal because you're tied going back. That's know, why you, I don't like starting it at home because it's like you have to win both. You already know by game two you have to win both at home. Right. I just don't like it. I wish you'd start on the road. Then you could say 1-1 on the road. We go back home. Take care of business at home. That's already three games. Didn't work for Ontario. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, but the flip side of that is, is like, well, all right, you know, they they won on the road, so that means we can win on the road. Um, I I think I think losing a game two, you know, it, it's obviously a lot worse than than losing game three instead. But uh, you know, I I think maybe that's sort of a a little bit of adversity that they haven't faced yet that that might sort of kick it up a notch. Um, well, I can see them, you know, losing game two and winning three straight, and that's it. Um, 
you know, and again, I could also see them losing first game at what do they call it? Is it the Enterprise Center now? Yes. Um, I could see them losing the first game in St. Louis at the Enterprise Center and, and closing it out in five at home. Do you have any prediction, Vlad? Oh, gosh. When it comes to this team, it always, <laughs> always makes my makes my eyes go crossed. So, uh, I think logically the, the outcome is going to be five games. I would love to see an encore of a sweep from last year. I just think the Blues have maybe a little bit more in their arsenal to prevent that from happening. But I'm also firmly of the belief if you shut down David Perron, the rest of that line falls apart. And he's yeah. a and he he's a big uh, you know he's a big weapon for them. And if that happens, they have no chance. So you shut him down, you're getting the sweep. Yeah, I mean it's like we all know how good Sod is, and it, you know in the playoffs he is money. Um, but it's just I I am so much more worried about Perron. Um, because it's I, he also seems to be somewhat of an abs killer. Like he he just seems to revel in playing against the abs. Yeah, he was he was a big piece of that uh, lineup last year for them in the postseason. Not right. enough, but I think if you 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 neutralize him, then you're you're looking really good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's. I I think. <clears throat> I think this is a good second round series for the Avs because it's it's kind of psychologically you don't have sort of the the sort of Damocles holding hanging over their heads like with Vegas last year. It's the history is, um, but there's still a tough opponent, and you know you have to be prepared. You have to have a lot of things go your way to, to win the series. So. You know, I, I think in that respect, it, it would also be a good prep for um, continuing on in the playoffs if that's what happens. Yeah, I think it does help that they beat them last year. You just hope they don't think of the sweep too much, but they know that they had... Because who was out with COVID? Was it Perron that was out with COVID? Yeah. And um, now they've added Butchnevich and, um, you know, Robert Thomas is a lot better this year. So they are like a better team, but. And did they add, uh, they added Nicoletti, I think, on defense, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the only thing they did at the deadline. And Pirate, obviously, is a lot better this year, too. They'll have, <laughs> they'll have Falk back in, but we'll also have Kadri back. <clears throat> Yeah, and everybody. Everybody. So, there are definitely a lot of more weapons either way, but... You know, my thing's always like O'Reilly. It's just... Oh, you just hate hearing about what a hero he is. and <laughs> That's the thing I'm looking forward to least <laughs> about this series. Oh, you know how his mom gave someone a kidney? and <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, I know. <laughs> it just, like, goes on and on and on. Um, you know, I was reading a story. He just had his third kid, and like how much of a hero he was to get home for that, and everything. It's just, you know, those stories just write themselves, right? And yeah. um, 
But I mean, thing he wasn't drunk at a Tim Hortons with that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a family man now. Three kids, so. Um, but I mean, they've played him enough. I'm not like worried about it, but you definitely always have like the ex abs. They can have a moment or two, but. Um, I know. I mean, we really did talk about it, but Matthew Shane played wonderful for. He did. Uh, I mean, he's been really good all year, I guess, for them. I, I didn't watch too many of their games, but, um, you know, you could say anyone stepped up for Nashville was in because it definitely wasn't Forsberg or anyone else. Well, Fors <laughs> Forsberg stepped, stepped his way out the door is what he did. <laughs> or Johansson, his only yeah. contribution was taking out Kemper, which, by the way, I did not find that intentional. <laughs> nah, it was an accident for sure. And I'm even happened into that. Kemper before when he played for Arizona. Yeah. But, um, you know, I never hated Duchesne. I never felt the way that I, O'Reilly still annoys me, but there's a lot of people that feel the opposite. You know, maybe they side more with O'Reilly, but they thought, you know, Duchesne was a, a big baby about it. And, you know, I never bought the whole, oh, it's just about the playoffs. That was his excuse. Like he was offended why he wanted out um and i kind of understand his position more just he was the face of the franchise for so long and everything but you know o'reilly he so annoys me and just the whole hero narrative but it will be nice to beat him for sure i don't like you either <laughs> <laughs> we always like to see your exes go down i guess uh <laughs> phrasing <laughs> well fans of this podcast will enjoy a few parting words from matt duchene when they hear this <laughs> uh... <laughs> well i guess they already heard it if they were listening to this part you know two hours and well, he can look forward Change. to another rebuild, right? So that's yeah. what he bought himself. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, funny how that works out. And yeah, all, all we need is a little bit more bulletin board material from you know, uh, from O'Reilly. We're gonna yeah. have fun and we're gonna beat them. <laughs> yep. But he's not gonna say that again. Not. not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next time say the quiet part quiet and not out loud. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as captain, I get you want to be show your team confidence, but. <laughs> yep. Yep. So this is round two on the, uh, you know, the uh, jilted lovers uh, postseason here. And if they make it through, maybe it'll either be Zadorov or Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even entertaining the thought that it's going to be Dallas that far down the line. No. Yeah, Blake Como left of his own volition. There were no hard feelings, right? No. <laughs> I don't even know who else is down there. Oh, we get to, you know, what, the ghost of Joe Pavelski again. Oh, sign me up for that. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. But we won't even know if that's even going to happen because 
Game 7 has not yet been played, and there's still a lot to be decided between now and the conference final. Hopefully the Avs will be a part of that matchup. Yes, let's hope. And a win against St. Louis will do wonders for them exercising those second-round demons. Yes, please. I don't want to have to hear about it for a whole nother year. Just do the thing. You're more yeah. than capable of doing it. Yep. Leave talk yeah, of the contrary to the uh, folks up in Toronto. <laughs> the Avs have never lost in the Stanley Cup final, so two more series. Easy as <laughs> That's what I and apparently my bank account are here for this year. <laughs> yeah. So before we close, any final thoughts on Nashville or the upcoming ground against St. Louis? I'm not as scared or nervous than I would be, I think. I'm feeling okay. Feeling pretty good, but... Yeah, I wonder if all this time off is, is affecting that. But yeah, I, I feel strangely calm. Uh, you know, I, I, I really... I really never had a doubt that there wouldn't even be a sweep in the first round. Uh, and I just... I didn't think that was overconfidence. It just... You know, didn't seem like a good matchup for for Nashville, um, and I'm I'm fairly calm about this one. This isn't like last year where it's just you're like, oh, Vegas, uh, we shouldn't have a problem, but these guys create problems out of nothing for us. Um, but um, you know, they've been so businesslike all year. They faced a lot of challenges and overcome them all. It just doesn't seem like there's the vulnerabilities we've seen in past years. Yeah, and it just the realization. I don't think any team's better than them. That doesn't mean that they're guaranteed to win the cup or anything yeah. crazy like that. But it's just the true realization. Like they have truly just as much chance as anybody else. So why not them, right? Why not just get it done, win it? Yeah, I mean, I, just, I, I think it's very interesting how if they do make it to the cup finals, you know, how, how the East Coast hockey media treats that because I don't, I don't think they've gotten their due uh, basically all year, definitely not in the playoffs. Um, well, like I've said a few times, I found it funny, the whole like, oh, we're not going to believe in the Avs till they – win in the second round which is a fair hurdle for them but like i said you look at all the other teams that were quote-unquote the best this year and none of them have ever done anything either so and in fairness like i i they treated washington like that in tampa um i know washington lost in the second round all the time yeah (laughs) they sure did i mean like i said it, it is a fair criticism of the avs but but in like the whole grand scope, when you're talking about everything else, like Florida hadn't won a playoff series since the '90s, and you just didn't hear that. You just never heard like, "Oh, we're not even going to talk about Florida till they can win a freaking playoff round." You just didn't hear that. That wasn't the narrative. So I just find it funny how 
we were talking about the group as a whole, it was always about, well, the Avs haven't proven themselves. It's like, who at the top of this league has? Yeah, I mean, it's, I just, I think it boils down to a lot of the fact that people don't watch the Avs much. Um. <laughs> well, that's pretty clear. That's for sure. Right. And it's, I think you can tell they, when they're amazed at certain things. It's like, no, seriously, Kale does that like once a week. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, Wayne Gretzky opening his eyes to Kale McCarr, it, that, that's just sort of a symptom of, you know, the way most people on the East Coast think is just, wow, I can't believe there's a guy that plays hockey that well out West. I mean, geez, where the hell have they been keeping this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Or just the whole narrative that they're fire wagon. You know, this is what they like. They want to win six or seven to six or, you know, because they have the speed and the dynamic explosivity that they want to trade chances back and forth. That's like what they do not want to do is trade chances. Yeah, because, I mean, every time you see a national game, it's like, they, you know, the narrative's always McCarr and McKinnon and they start watching the game and the commentator's like, wow, you know, Devon Davis like, Jeez, they got Miko Rand, and he's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're looking at their sheet. They're like, Taze was plus 65. Like, wow, I guess he's good, too. (laughs) Right. You know, and... Yeah, like, there was this whole article about, on The Athletic, about four scouts were discussing the abs and how to break them down. Not one of them mentioned Miko or Kadri. Like... (laughs) You know, you're hoping St. Louis is thinking that way, which they're not. I mean, they're very familiar with us, but it's like, gee, just don't mention the leading scorer or anything. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know, not going to be a factor. Right. And it's just that I, I just don't think the East Coast hockey media appreciates how deep this team is. It's like when, you know, when Sam Gerrard is almost an afterthought. Uh, Oh, he's beyond an afterthought now. You know, he's like the main. He's never ever like he never got credit before. At, at this point, he's never getting credit ever again. He'd probably have. I don't think there's anything he could do. He could score the cup winning goal, and he still wouldn't get credit. Like there is nothing the guy could do. Jensen was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Little yeah. guy like that scoring the cup winning goal. What's up with that? He's too small. Too small to be a champion. Yeah, exactly. Too French. Um, but, but yeah, hopefully a lot of people open their eyes to the Avs that, that they built such a great team, style, identity. It works. Like when they're really humming along, they look like a machine. Like everyone knows where they need to pass to. And. It, it just looks unstoppable. And that's the thing. Like, we hardly even talked about physicality because we all know that that's the dumbest narrative ever. But that's not the way you beat the Avs. The way you beat the Avs is you take away their passing ability. And that's also something the national media doesn't comprehend. Yeah, that, that you know, they're still pretty physical. I, I think the beginning of the Nashville series, they're just like, okay, you want to do that? You know? I mean, yeah, Bednar said that. Like, they had more hits than them in the first couple games. Right. And I liked how he said it the other day, which a lot of people still don't understand, is he says, we don't hit just to get hits. We hit to get the puck. He says, the puck is the point. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, oh, we need to put people out there, run them through the boards. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, they're not told to do that. The point is to win the game. <laughs> is to get the puck, <laughs> put it in the net, and win the game. And it is like 100% common sense, but it's amazing how often that gets lost. And I think that was a great uh, uh, point that Bednar had said in very, very succinct terms. It's not about ego. It's about winning. And I know. And that everyone... is the message. <laughs> yeah, it was a great. I mean, he's had some great lines lately. It's, he's right. But the thing is, everyone thought that was like this fantastic quote and started posting it everywhere. It was like, did you hear what he said before that? It's about walking away from scrums yeah (laughs) for sure it's so funny is like that's what he's talking about being an ego trip is just how tough you can be in scrums which i hate the scrums personally and it's just funny that it's about that but then you'll hear like oh you know we got to get out we got to start pushing in the scrums it's just like that's not the abs plain and simple But just do the thing, please. That's my last, that's my parting thoughts. I believe in you. Now go and do it. And I will second that. If you want to get it done in four, get it done in four. Yeah, I'd really appreciate not have stress on my birthday. So yeah, you could go ahead and do that. And hopefully, if hey, if they do get it done in four, maybe they can put this whole jilted lovers thing to rest with Duchesne and O'Reilly and <laughs> finally, truly, genuinely move on. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. We're not exactly sure when we're going to record again because we don't even know when this series will ever start. <laughs> so- <laughs> I would imagine probably something similar to, like, if they're rolling along, maybe we'll wait. But, you know, if there's three games to talk about and one loss in there might be enough to talk about, we'll see. So until that time you hear our voices next, whenever that happens, uh, we appreciate you listening and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.